The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact-checking and corrections are encouraged. Can we get a cup of coffee in here, please? Yeah, 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 yeah. We heard it all before. Damn good coffee and hot. Get to the point. There we go. Good morning, folks. It is Friday. Are you happy? You made it through a week. Well, almost made it through a week. If you have to go to work today, you didn't quite make it through a week yet, but you're almost, almost to the weekend. Are you a weekend warrior? Well, good morning. It's Friday, July 29th, 2022. Uh, Good day to be alive. What's not a good day to be alive tomorrow? Yesterday was a good day to be alive. I was going to say may not. A um, lot to talk about today. I'm going to want to talk about um, people making profit off of infamy. Because I started some shit about that. I'm going to want to talk a little bit about revenge porn. Because I uh, tweeted yesterday that I was a victim of revenge porn. And, uh, of course, people uh, think I'm kidding about that. Sort of. Not really. And I'll come back to that in a little bit. Jess Paul will be my guest host again today. It's the third Friday in a row. Look forward to speaking with her and seeing her. And um, Sam Stewart, otherwise known as the Man Stew, S. Man Stew, <laughs> comedian uh i think out of fresno although i see two bios one that says he lives in la and one that says he lives in fresno another guy who's very funny good at comedy not so good at the marketing stuff and seeing a lot of this lately um people not just comedians in all aspects of entertainment like me just want to do what they just want to do. In other words, uh, just want to be a musician, just want to be a comedian, just want to be an actor, just want to be a filmmaker. And don't really want to pay attention to the other parts of the job, marketing, uh, promotions, all that kind of stuff. Now, they're coming on the program, which is promotions, but it's not all the effort. The big part of the job is that shit you don't want to do. And none of us want to do it. None of us get into what we do to be marketing people, promotional people, advertising people, public relations people, all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to want to talk to my guest about that this morning because he's another one in a long line of uh, people who we're having on the, on the program who um, are good at, the, at what they do. Not so good at what they don't do. And what they don't do is what's going to make or break careers in a lot of ways. Um, I'm just preaching here. Preaching to the choir or just preaching to the void, the big empty void. Um, Where should I start here? Well, I'll start 
with the revenge point thing. Uh, where do I start? I start about two weeks ago. Um, I put an ad for a drummer on several social media sites. Uh, we need a drummer, and we still need drummers. I needed just found out I need a drummer for tomorrow night. Um, uh, and so I got a lot of responses, but I uh, and I'm not certain. But I think one of those responses is re- responsible for this quote, uh, "revenge porn." Unquote. <laughs> uh, not a funny thing. It's, it's it's funny if it happens to me. It's not funny if it happens to anybody uh, anybody else, especially if it's a a, um, a female who's being you know exploited for these kind of things. Now, old man like me kind of funny uh and can be taken as a joke but so he put an ad out for a drummer and i put in all the details about what we were looking for and how unusual the situation is that we do that first of all that we play four hours straight no breaks particularly hard on drummers uh, but also, what's your set list look like? Well, any song that was written between 1920 and 2022, including songs that were written yesterday, uh, uh, cover songs, and about 150 original songs. What's the set list look like? I just told you, anything. It could be anything. We could pick out a song the singer heard on the radio yesterday and be asked to do it. Wow, that's a lot of fucking songs I got to learn. I no. You don't have to learn them. That was in the ad. Don't you don't have to. We're looking for somebody with great feel, somebody who understands fake book, uh, which is a a musical thing that if you're not familiar with it, fake book is what a lot of club date musicians go by. It's just basically we're going to do our own arrangements of things. Um, we're not necessarily doing off the record covers of songs almost never doing exact off the record covers of songs faking doing a real good job of that but that's what we do so okay so now somebody this guy's getting angry now one response to the ad for the drummer are you kidding me i gotta learn every song ever and and so what's the audition process like well there is no audition process we don't ever audition people we don't have time for that crap the way we work is trial by fire. We offer you a gig. You come on the gig. If you make it through the gig, we'll offer you another gig. That's the way we work. There's no law that says you have to accept this uh, offer, by the way. It's just <laughs> you can say, no, fuck you. I don't want it. But this one particular young guy, I think he was a young guy. Uh, based on, because I was looking over his uh, bio. And um, so he said, well, that's really unfair. You want me to learn all these songs, show up for a gig, I get paid for it, and if you don't like me, I'll never get called again. I did all that work. And I said, no, you didn't listen. I don't want you to learn any songs. You could look over the list, but if you have a fake book mentality, you're the right guy for this for this gig. If you don't have a fake book mentality, you're probably not the right guy for this book. 
uh, gig. And what we're looking for is somebody who can slap two and four nice and hard like a rock drummer and play the beat to just about anything. And then as you get more comfortable, you learn our arrangements and you're more comfortable within the arrangement stuff. But we're looking for a fake book guy. And if that's not you, just say no to the gig. And this guy was getting angry. Well, I can't believe that you're not going to have a rehearsal. Listen, this is how we operate. You don't have to be part of it. You don't like what I'm saying. Just move along. Guy was angry and kept coming back at me. So I finally said, this gig is not for you. This gig is not for you. Okay, so three weeks go by. Yesterday, an email goes out CCing me on several of my email addresses. And friends of mine from music community, people who know me, and there's a video clip attached. And it says, ever wonder what kind of uh, what kind of person Matt Napo, a.k.a. Mind Dog, is? Check out this video. I didn't look at the video. But I heard from a friend who looked at the video. I will try to... I'll describe what, 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 I, what was in the video as far as what I was told... A bald man with a mustache looking very much like me, sticking his entire head in a woman's body. <laughs> and it looked very much like me. And I was like, well, that, that's fucking crazy. This guy's just looking to start trouble with me now. I think it was him. I'm not, I'm not certain because it was a spoofed email address where it came from so couldn't uh trace it back to an actual account but okay there there's a video a very short clip of somebody who appears to be me sticking his entire head in a woman's body pretty sick and people who know me know i would never do that <laughs> i just would never do that Anyway, uh, I said uh, to to my friend, I said, you know what? You can uh, Google, if you want, bald men sticks his head in a, a woman's body and um, see how, uh, see what comes up because you'll probably get full context instead of a 20-second video that appears to be me. You'll see the full thing. And my friend did that. And it turns out that in all the other angles, you saw like a 15-minute or 14-minute video, and clearly not me. Just one angle, it appears to be me. But this is the thing. Uh, it's a pretty insidious... People are fucking messed up, man. You Guy doesn't get the gig, and he responds... And I'm thinking, again, I have no proof that this is the person, but this is the only only person I know in recent memory who would target just the musicians in my uh, inner circle, not even in my inner circle, it was a, a, my network of musicians, sending them an email like that to try and, you know, discredit me or um, hurt my reputation. Now, I have to say, some of the musicians and people on my list that he mailed this clip to would be impressed by that and actually, actually admire that for whatever reason, sick as that sounds. Uh, but 
revenge porn is a real, real thing, folks. Now, again, it's funny if it happens to me because, first of all, I'm an old man, uh, and it does, it's not going to get keep me <laughs> from getting any opportunities at this point. Uh, I'm pretty much a self-made man, and I can't be canceled because I'm not big enough to be canceled uh, in any way. Um, and I work for myself. So it really doesn't hurt me. Um, but it's a real serious thing. And I know people were joking about it and all that stuff. And for me, I'm fine with that. Believe me, I get it. It's, it's ridiculous enough and silly enough that I can laugh about it, that it happens to me. And I laughed it off. And I, you know what? I know people who know me would just say, say no. You know, I know him enough that he's not going to do something like that. Uh, and people who don't know me well enough and still might think, well, wow, that's really weird, Matt. So fucking weird dude. I don't care. I don't care. Um, but the, the issue is that that kind of mentality, mentality exists and that there are young, immature men willing to go to that extent to hurt somebody over something as trivial as didn't get the audition for a gig just really really bothers me in a lot of ways so you know again it's pretty silly that it happened to me and um i'm not going to share obviously i wouldn't share it here because uh all the platforms that we're on except for roku would probably shut it down uh, and give me some kind of content strike or something like that. Definitely couldn't do it on any of the social media platforms. It is extremely X-rated. It's ex- uh, X-rated <laughs> and um, just sick. It, it, you know what? It's one step, nah, maybe not one step, maybe two or three steps short of bestiality <laughs> and and pedophilia and all that stuff. It's a full-grown man, bald head, mustache, uh, kind of a husky build, sticking his entire head into a woman. Bizarre, and but you know, so that's what 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 that tweet was all about. And I know a lot of people are reacting to it in a very silly way. I get it, and listen, but there is a serious side to this. So when you're making the jokes about this stuff, just remember, if I were a woman, especially if I were a young woman, this would not be a funny thing at all. It could ruin my life. It could ruin my reputation and all that kind of stuff for something that actually isn't even real. Now, I understand real revenge porn <laughs> is actually real. It's actually the person and it, it can ruin lives. I uh, just want to, want to, you know, kind of put that out there in, in, into the realm of discussion and, and people understanding what's going on because it is a, a big time uh, violation. Anyway, seems like a lot of people um, are as insomniacs like me because I see people on Twitter in the middle of the night, and then I see them on Twitter when I get up to start promoing the Daily Show. Uh, it's like, don't you people ever sleep? I know I don't sleep, but. That's because I, I have no brain. It doesn't need to shut off. <laughs> but uh, God, man, you people have... Because I know West Coasties, West West Coast people, 
see them up at four o'clock in the morning my time and they're still up at seven o'clock in the morning my time or eight o'clock in the morning my time it's like wait a minute it's the middle of the night there and i know these are people that are day people they work day jobs most of them many of them like damn and there's a lot of them a lot of you people i'm gonna just go over to the chat room and, and see who's here uh looks like because the number over there looks like pretty big let me see what we got going on there uh kevin's here good morning kevin good morning kelly um don't have time to read all these good morning craig one of the people who was up all night and up all morning and always up uh one of the people i was just talking to um talking about anyway um I was always comment to uh, William. Good morning, William. Uh, you had a show last night, right, William? Oh, no, is that tonight? I'm losing track. Uh, <clears throat> Jamie. Good morning, Jamie. Uh, well, good afternoon over there in the UK. Um, yeah, that's about it. So a lot of people chatty, seeing lots of numbers on the numbers of comments, but not not a very full chat room yet uh looks like sam stewart is in the back room i'm gonna wait till uh till jess gets here in just a little bit to bring him in i wasn't expecting him actually till 10 a.m but we'll get him in nice and early as soon as we can i just want to make sure my co-host is on board before we bring the guest in um damn that's good good coffee speaking of performances Yesterday, you know, weird thing. I played at a place that we used to play at in the Nautical Mile in Freeport, which I hated it. I, I thought we'd never play there again. It, it's a huge, it's like a resort, a huge, huge room. And there was, it still is a very huge place. And last night, to give you an idea how big the place is, there were 350 people, about 350 people in the audience. And it felt empty. That's how big the place is. But I never enjoyed playing there because it is so spread out. They've done something, some things to make that so the crowd is closer to uh, the, the band area and we get to actually see people in the reaction. People are up dancing a little bit. And so there's some of that. They've, they've improved it in that way. But what I hated about it was, first of all, it was kind of a wide open setting with no backing behind stuff. So sound was really an issue. Uh, and I think I've mentioned that area has a ordinance that you can't be over 86 decibels from the street. So they have cops that actually come by with decibel meters and point it at the, at the venue. And if you're too loud, 86 decibels is about this, what you're hearing right now. If your volume is on 10. <laughs> in uh but so talking is 86 uh decibels and you get a, a fine of three thousand dollars if you if your music is louder than what you're hearing right now we'd get fined like three thousand dollars so that was not fun so we had to have a, a a lookout on the street looking for decibel cops and give us a heads up when they're coming down and then stop bring the volume way down so i hated that and just the overall size of the place. Now what they've done is they may, they've done some really cool stuff. They put up a really cool stage area with a uh, sound backing that holds the sound in and kills the sound from leaving the venue. They've also put up soundproof walls and all this kind of stuff. So from the street, 
the band could be playing full volume and you're not going to hear the band from the street. I love that. And the sound inside the, what they've done makes it so comfortable to feel in the pocket with the band. I, it was a really good experience. But I did not know that going there. So I was in a bad mood about the place because I didn't want to play there. Because several years ago, I said, no, we're never playing that place again. My partner went and booked it. And I was like, ugh. Now, the place was called Tropics. Follow me here. The place was called Tropics. Now it's not called Tropics. Now it's called Bayview. But, and it's at the end of the Nautical Mile. So if you're on this strip, which is called the Nautical Mile, where just tons of venues all the way to the end, if you're on it, this is the very last one you get to. Used to be called Tropics. Now it's called Bayview. Three doors to the north of it, on, the, on before you get to the end of the mile, there's a new club that's called Tropics, and they stole the sign from the old <laughs> Tropics. So people who were expecting and we advertised the show as being at tropics because we had no idea that the venue had changed it's not the same owners it's a it, the place down the street is not the same owners they just stole the sign stole the name so we're advertising come see us at tropics all over the place and people are only getting to tropics they're not getting to bayview to see that we're at bayview there's a, and a lot of people going to tropics so our crowd was diminished by that and i was confused when i first got there like wow are we at tropics or are we at Bay- bayview tonight I have to make phone calls all that kind of stuff very confusing stuff played the gig gig went great then going to leave the gig uh Kiera, who was on the gig, and has it's been about a month for her because she's been traveling and all that kind of stuff. She was excellent last night. I mean, really, really good. Um, as good as I've ever seen her. Uh, and then we were leaving the gig. She says to me, I'll see you tomorrow night. I'm like, no, we have gigs Saturday and Sunday. I'm off tomorrow night. We're off tomorrow night. She said, no, we have a, that outdoor thing over in Coma. Wait, I better check that. It's not on my calendar. Well, it's on my calendar. So I got to call the booking agent. Oh, he said, no, no, you're you're on. You're all set for that. So I got a gig tonight. Uh, I, I wasn't expecting to be playing. And full day today. So that's kind of... But leaving the club, I, I'm dealing with the booking agent. Didn't get out of there now because I had to st- stay there and take care of business on that set. Didn't get out there for an hour, hour after the gig ends. And coming home, I hit traffic from hell now if you're uh if you understand metro area traffic whether it's los angeles new york city chicago uh even the loop in dc picture the worst rush rush hour traffic but in the middle of the night uh you're leaving a gig and you just want to get home you're dead tired you put in a full day Stuck in traffic for two hours. Finally, and they re- reroute you in the most ridiculous route. So I, here I am driving all over God's creation. And finally get back to the Long Island Expressway in out east so I can get home. And then I get there, and that's shut down for another hour of traffic. So I got home in the middle of the night last night. Uh, it was not a fun fun experience anyway that's the gig night and now i have a uh have some stuff i have to take care of today for some friends who've been asking me to help them out with some marketing stuff for their bands and comedy shows and stuff like that 
have to get to a gig, an early gig tonight, then two tomorrow, and one Sunday. So it's going to be a very, very crazy, crazy weekend. Um, I see that Jess Paul is, has arrived. I'm going to let her in right after this uh, dose of good coffee. As you can tell, uh, generally, my brain is not very well engaged in the morning, but I, I'm not still not a morning person. After almost um, eight months of doing the morning show, it still takes me a while. It takes me a while, so I'm just starting to feel awake right now. Uh, you, you know all about Jess. She's uh, she's a superstar, superstar uh, that you should know about. You should follow her live streams. You should follow uh, her acting careers. You should follow her artsy career. She's a, she's an artist of a lot of different modalities and, um, and and mediums and all that kind of stuff. She's fabulous. You know her. I don't have to give her uh, the kind, this kind of introduction. You know all about her. Please welcome back the fabulous Jess Paul. Good morning. Happy Friday. Happy weekend. Wow. Where are you getting this energy from, man? I don't, you know what, you were just talking about, you're not a morning person. And I have been realizing over the past, you know, I guess couple years, um, I have tons of, I just, I don't have an energy problem anymore. I, in fact, I actually used to have a sleep problem to the degree where I would have sleep anxiety and without a little, um, or a little, uh, well, I, I figured it out since, but, um, but I, I wouldn't be able to fall asleep from from everything that was that was troubling me. Wow. Uh, and uh, and I recently do you know what the cure ended up being? Because I, I realized I couldn't smoke every single night of my life because um, it was making me forget commercial lines. That's not good. Really? Um, <laughs> well, th this. So, yeah, if you want to hear a story, um, I, I've done a, a handful of commercials here in Los Angeles in my time in Los Angeles. And I mean, to be honest, I can only I'm only thinking that this is what it attributed to. But I did uh, a, a great commercial. Um, I won't say who they are because, uh, be, just, you know, because I'm embarrassed. But um, I, I go they fly me they fly me up to the Bay Area and we do this commercial. It's like a two minute commercial, like a couple short paragraphs of lines should have been a no brainer. And you know, I was rehearsing it beautifully, but when it, it came to this one chunk, um, this one day, I could not get through it to the degree where we came back the next day. And I realized that I had to be looking at a computer screen anyways. So I said, um, can we just tape it to the screen while you guys film me? Nothing and they're like, oh, that. yeah. And it, like it wouldn't have worked if that wasn't I like I saw the storyboards that was part of it already so um and the thing is the day we had two day shoots the day before when i realized that i wasn't going to be able to spit out this chunk i had the closest thing i ever had to a panic attack in my room i had to literally sit on this hotel um this hotel bed and rock myself because i was so disappointed in myself um trying everything i could to memorize these lines but i had also at the time i'm like what is going on you know i don't have this problem and I, I looked up again, this was like the second time I looked this up. If people have long-term memory issues, if they indulge in cannabis and it turns out there was an article written just like two months prior that came, 
came out conclusive that you can have memory problems up to 30 days or, or th- no, sorry, three weeks close enough um, after, after you, uh, you've, you, and, and if I do days. it, yeah, that's not too bad, but if I do it all the time and then, then it's never, I'm never getting a break. I don't so, think that's true. I mean, personal, my personal experience. It uh, might not be, this might be me self-diagnosing that that was the problem because if I thought about it, I did another commercial where I was smoking just as much. In fact, I smoked the night before the commercial and I spit out multiple monologues. So it might've been just, I still got scared enough to the degree where I tried to find another solution. You know what it ended up being? Wow. Sticking wow. a, sticking a piece of silicone in my nose. Um, they're called nose dilators and they, and they open up your nostrils so that you can breathe at night. And ever since I found these, I literally have gone to sleep with no problem. I thought for years it had been my anxiety keeping me up because when I'd be awake, I would think of the worst parts about myself, all my regrets, all of my embarrassments, my mistakes. But I think that was just because I was being kept awake by my breathing anyways. And, and my, and I got upset that I wasn't going to be able to, to be up the next morning and just, it would spiral. So you can, uh, you can see the comments, right? I just want to make sure. That you oh, can, let me get, uh, I'm, I'm in stuck in the private chat. Yeah. So, oh, there uh, they are. Oh my gosh. I should turn that on more often. Yeah. No, Ralph says you're holding the smoke in too long. Um, <laughs> I was just talking about insomnia, though, because most yeah. uh, a lot of the people on my Twitter feed and people who are fans of this show seem to, and I, especially the ones out West, I feel like they have the same issue. Now, I've been an insomniac my whole life. I don't sleep much. But, okay. Uh, it is anxiety. It's a, it's the voice in my head that won't shut up about all sorts of things. What am I going to talk about on the show tomorrow? What do I have to do tomorrow? What time do I have to be there? All this kind, you know, it, it just never stops. The internal dialogue never stops for me. But um, it I seems like uh, everybody in the crowd does. <laughs> listen, listen, I incur because the thing is, it's non medicinal, and and honestly, this these things are like fifteen. I'm not put, sticking anything up my nose. You have no idea how easy it is. Like I didn't think. I, I was like, I can't sleep with that. That's not gonna feel good. I, I go, <laughs> I go to sleep within within you know ten minutes after I put these things in my nose, and um. It's been made a joke of, like, I think somebody said that that one of the characters used it on Shit's Creek or, or whatever, but uh, but um, it 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 does it saved my life. So, and I wow. don't, and now I've I've cut my smoking down to about half. You know, I I would have to smoke every single night in order. Well, to Well, I think the smoking got me through being stoned as a uh, got me through that traffic anxiety because last night I realized. The old me, or the normal me, who was not stoned, would be freaking out with the insane kind of traffic I had to sit in for hours to get home from a gig last night. But I've, um, I went to the dispensary. They sent me an email and they said uh, we got something new in stock. I got to try this. Twenty six percent THC. It's called the Highwaymen. Uh, after Willie Nelson and Will <laughs> Jennings and all that stuff. It's, it's most. It's a what? But it's the best. Best I've ever had in my entire life. Yeah, I mean, still to this day, after saying all that, I I would still also agree with you that, like, you know, cannabis did save my life for the time that it was, you know, helping me directly. And and still to this day, I mean, I mean, I, I indulge with dinner. I like one of my favorite things to do because I love to cook is uh, I'll turn on my my little radio and I'll start smoking up and I'll just cook while I while I'm I'm high and it's it's the best experience and then by the time I'm eating oh my gosh the food tastes so much better. 
you, you know, my outro song, Turn On Your Radio, it just, mm-hmm. when, as soon as you said Turn On The Radio, it like triggered me. I got it. <laughs> you know what I want to talk about today? And now Sam Stewart is uh, gracious. He showed up early today and he's, wa- oh, he's waiting great. to come in. I want to, I don't want to ho- keep him off too much longer. But what I, one thing I want to talk about, I started, I think you'll probably have some possibly different opinions about this than me, which is why oh, yeah. I'm bringing it up now. Hmm. I started a, uh, no, no, nothing unusual about me starting a Twitter fire. I did. I started one yesterday because John Hinckley, the guy who shot Reagan and James Brady and two, uh, uh, so, uh, secret service worker and a cat and a Washington DC cop killing one person. He is a recording artist. Now they let he served forty years in a um, criminal um, mental facility, and they let him out with these conditions that he's not supposed to be a public persona. He's not gonna, he's not supposed to do all this stuff. Uh, you know, not supposed to talk to the press. Not supposed to do anything in the public. And he's got a band. He's put a band together, and he's doing concerts and all this stuff, and promoting his work on Twitter. And I said to him, "Listen." I I have I support people with mental health issues. I get that. But I I support people who are legitimate artists who are not making then their fame off of infamy. Nobody mm. would care about your shitty work. Right. If you if it wasn't for the name John Hinckley attached and the fact that he murdered a guy I feel he's profiting. You know, if you really just want to know what people think about your music, put it out there as Bob Jones. See how much attention it gets. It's right. getting attention because you're a murderer. That's the only reason people care about. And a lot of people came back at me like I was like way out of line. You know, he, he's better now. I, yeah, he was claiming he was better six months after he shot the people. Uh, he, he just used that insanity defense uh, to get off. Uh, and then once he was in a, a mental institution rather than jail, he was claiming, I'm, you know, I'm better, I'm cured, I'm, I'm not a harm to anybody. And he did that for 40 years till they finally let him out. So I feel like profiting off of infamy. Uh, if the guy wants to make a real run at it be- and find out how people care about his music, don't do it as John Hinckley. You'll get see how much attention you get. And all these people were coming at me like, oh, you're totally wrong. He's a, he's a good guy. You're a flamer. And you, you, how, do you, how do you feel about attacking a poor guy on, on line? I said, I never murdered anybody. <laughs> and, and there are thousands, hundreds, billions of musicians out there who are better than him deserve more attention than him. Songwriters, recording artists, or all this stuff, but don't get it. And the only reason he's getting that attention is because he killed somebody. That's a really bad state for society, and it's a bad practice to give to society because we're in a, a, gener- a generational thing where People want fame more than anything. It doesn't matter how you get fame, like the Kardashians and all these people who just want to be famous for nothing. And that just sends a message. Here's a good way to get famous. Just go out and shoot somebody. You'll get famous, and then you can put out songs and or comedy albums or whatever, films, and people are going to buy it because of your infamy. And it's not going over well. What are your thoughts on that? When it comes to this subject, I feel like there's I, like I don't actually have an opinion. If I would hear this subject, I would just kind of like analyze it for what it is, like kind of put it in the rubric of like this is how history and humanity works. Um, 
yeah, I don't like I don't care for the Kardashians either, but they they have an audience and, yeah, and they never killed anybody to get that's, that. That's I mean that's true. So are you saying <laughs> that that like the the judicial system actually told him you cannot be a celebrity and then he went against that anyway? Yeah, part of his release was you're not to be giving any press, uh you're not supposed to give any interviews because uh they say he's not a mm. uh, harm or danger to himself, but he's not cured. In their opinion, uh, part of the, the court decision was, yeah, we don't want you. We don't want the, the families that you traumatize. You ruined. Why they even let him out? That because uh, you know, that's my question. I mean, if he's not cured, if he's not rehabilitated, then forty two years. He's sixty six years old now, and they don't feel like if they're, they're more concerned about the publicity thing because again, he traumatized. Three families, four, four if you count Reagan's, but Reagan's was so uh, out there in the public anyway that, you know, they're not really a Ronald was a victim of getting shot, but his family is not traumatized by this in the way that the police officer who died's family was ruined. Ronald by Reagan was shot by this man. Yeah, he shot, he shot a president of the United States. And he died. No, right. Reagan didn't die. Reagan right. survived it, but yeah. one of one of the people died. One, of, okay, he shot four, pe- four, oh, uh, four people at I the understand. same time. Uh, Reagan was one of them. Uh, James Brady, his press secretary, and a Secret Service man and a, a Washington cop. The Washington cop died. So three people shot, one dead, uh, and uh, basically that family is, was devastated by by him. And basically six months after, and he was. He, Claiming to be insane was was his temporary insanity was his uh, defense, and so he went into a mental mm-hmm. institution and not jail. So forty two years in a mental institution, and they let him go. Now they said they don't want him having I see press and all this stuff because they don't want to traumatize the families. But those families are still out there. They don't need to see him. Having a music career, I feel, I feel is even you know worse. It's more egregious than than doing any press or or anything like that. You're getting, you know, you could make that a career instead of just a little payday for doing an interview. Like, uh, I mean, they should they should slap him with some kind of other punishment if he's not following the rules. And Solvin, just to uh, just to answer your question, mine that I use particularly are called Woody knows. I've tried another one. Um, it's like Woody and or N-O-S-E, you know, um, wow. and, and I've tried other ones and they didn't work out. But uh, that one was great. Sorry. Sorry that you already ordered a different kind. But um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I sometimes I, I I'm constantly just kind of shaking my head. And, and, you know, as an artist, I've always been trying to follow the trends on how you kind of climb the ladder and. I can only say that it is very unfortunate that there are some loopholes that can get you all the way to the top and they are the worst, the worst keys into the doors of, of actually having a career in music or, or art. That's, that's very unfortunate. And you know what, if you can do a crime that is, that will get the public's attention, that will get you a minimum, it's worth doing two years for a minimal sentence. If you're, 
goal is to get famous. I mean, it's I what, guess, but hey, like if you're just doing two years, then who who makes it to the news for that kind of thing? So yeah, well, if it's a if it's a crazy enough crime, when the circumstances of the crime are enough to grab news headlines and stuff like that, you know, uh, whatever it is, and but the penalty for a first time offender is not that bad, and he only gets two years, or she only gets two years. Um, it could be, uh, and a lot of people will take that as a message infamy. You know, it's it, it, that's not something to to make your career off of, and that's all I was saying. But now I'm I'm under attack on on Twitter again. I don't mind that, but it's just like you know what, I, I the point I make to these people is you wouldn't care shit about this guy sure. if he had not murdered somebody. You wouldn't even know who he was. Uh, and there are millions of qualified people who are working at that have legitimate talent who work at that and haven't killed some people, <laughs> anybody. And they also struggle with mental health stuff. We all do. So don't, you know, this, they're making this guy up. People love hero. watching a car crash. Like, you know, and, and the thing is, I know it. Uh, like when I had my YouTube career for as long as I did, I still technically do. I do the lives. Um, but I, but I, at some point had to stop doing the edited shows because there are literally no hours left in the day. Well, the, the thing that I noticed is that if you, you know, had it with a, a great catchy headline, like just recently, um, I embarrassed myself at live band emo karaoke. So, and, and it's, it's funny how my my YouTube brain, my my pr like marketing brain works that instead of like hiding that from society, I'm like, oh, damn. Oh, yeah. I can yeah. make that into a YouTube video. Monetize that. It's a good story. Um, <laughs> and I did. And, and honestly, I had been kind of like middling under 100 views per live stream for a long time. And then when this when this headline went up, it was like, oh, let's see what she did. Yeah, I, it, you know. I I, I got to tell you, I was a little bit disappointed because I tuned into that. To, uh, and I'm tuned in late. Maybe I missed it. But I tuned into waiting to hear uh, this like story about the karaoke thing. And I said and not that I was disappointed in what I saw because you were <laughs> you were uh, remodeling a jacket. I was mm -hmm. like, well, what is, this isn't karaoke yeah, you, I stuff. I was expecting you would have missed the story. The story actually. Do you want to hear this? You probably we probably don't have time, right? Do we, we have uh, how long is because I want to bring Sam in, but we right. got a couple of minutes here. Is it All right. Well, we'll go through the, the short version because it was a fun night. So, that you know, Rec Radio, Just Paul, this is I, I am such a big music fan and particularly emo music night. And we're talking Fall Out Boy. We're talking Paramore, uh, My Chemical Romance. Those were the kinds of things that they were playing that night. And have you ever been to live karaoke, Mind Dog? Nope. Oh my God! Well, I mean, you I know did one. Is. I, I I back in the day, but it was before emo. I ran a, a live karaoke show, but really, yes. Well, there we go. That's I mean, that's more than I could ask for. Well, <laughs> I the thing is, I've always wanted to do it. It was in my hometown of Pittsburgh, but I never got the chance. And so when I saw this on the calendar, I'm like, I'm going. I'm going to. And the thing is, too, for some reason, unbeknownst to me. I was so confident in myself. I have no singing ability, but I'm I'm one of those people. I'm one of those people who thinks I'm going to surprise some people. Like people are going to be impressed by these these singing talents that come out of nowhere. Even though I'm 
completely unpracticed. I went there without knowing what the song list was whatsoever or how it was going to work at all. I just went. Um, it started out with me getting there, trying to buy a ticket and realizing it was cash only and me that only brings my headphones and a credit card. I'm like, uh, and so the, the door, the door guy, he ended up telling me like, well, you can Venmo. Oh, I can Venmo. And he goes, no, you have to find like somebody who will give you cash for like, for, for, if you want to Venmo them. I'm like, okay. So I literally started like picking people out of the the line. Like, do you have cash? Do you have cash? And I, between two people, I Venmo, I, you know, Venmoed people so that they could give me actual dollar bills. Like this was after, (laughs) I almost, I ran into the venue after somebody who had shortchanged me and had like the ticket lady running after me. It was, it was a disaster. It almost didn't happen, (laughs) but I got in. And I was stoked. I was so excited to be there. In fact, I ran into a friend. I went completely alone. I love going to shows alone, so I don't have to babysit anybody. I can just, I can just enjoy myself. And I, I dance and I like, I, I, I move all around the room to find a space where like people would like make, make a space to dance and I'll just dance in the back of the room. And so I ran into somebody and I said to my friend, Jeremy, that I found him like, dude, this is like these guys that are playing these songs. They were fantastic, by the way. They were called. Well, the the event is called um uh, too much here. marijuana smoking. <laughs> um, it, oh gosh, they're called uh like not way back karaoke uh, something like that. Um, uh, karaoke time machines is what they're called, and they're fantastic. And so I. I was jamming all night every, and there was a range. There were people that were pretty good on, you know, on, on, there was, I could hear auto tune in the microphone. Didn't help everybody, but oh. um, I could hear it. I could yeah. hear it. Uh, but it, again, like if you weren't close to the notes, then like there were some people that were singing and I knew what the song was, but they weren't singing it. Um, and so, you know, it was a full range until it got to this one young lady. And by the way, my song that I picked was, uh, paramours which if anybody knows paramore Haley williams one of the best singers of our time again don't know why i thought that was a good idea paramours that's what you get is the song that i picked and once you pick a song in this lineup it disappears no one else can pick it and it you also get thrown into a shuffle so it's not a line that you're in it's a shuffle so you could come up at any time in the night they'll call you up so this so again everyone was was bad to middling it was just a fun time or i couldn't hear them at all over the music um and uh and this one girl goes up she's called up and the guitarist into the microphone goes looks like we've got twyla in the house and i'm like all right twyla like bring it and so she comes up she's this mousy little girl um she looks like that she's been dragged there by her friends and she's nervous as hell to be on stage uh to the degree where the guitarist is like you ready and she's like you know with the microphone <laughs> and and uh i watch her and he goes yeah okay we've got paramore with decode the song was decode so it's par- it's paramore but it's also another song and i'm like all right you know i i came there in my studded jacket my you know my punk roots i look i was getting compliments all night i was you know i was like okay whatever this girl she starts the opening line it is pitch perfect this song is also very difficult and she just and like the crowd goes wild they are they are loving it they are so <laughs> surprised and she she sails through all the highest notes throughout this song i'm dancing i'm having a good time up while being shocked i'm happy for her and everything but there are two things that crossed my mind one was like 
Jessica, I don't know why you think that you were able to to impress people that you're going to be able to impress people when like you this girl must have been like a professional. She must have either been in a band or she must be practicing this in her in her vocal lessons. Um, and, and I'm just like, I don't I don't know why you think you could have been this. The second thought I had was, man, wouldn't it be a bitch if they shuffled me right after this girl? Uh. So she sings her song and the music slows down. And like a premonition, the guitarist goes, looks like we're continuing with, with some paramour. Oh. And I'm like, oh my God, Jess Paul, come to the stage. And so I'm all the way in the back. I'm, you know, I was dancing in my space in the back. So I, I, you know, bust my way to the front and I get on stage. I'm like looking for the microphone till the, 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 you know, the guitarist is finally like pointing to, to the, the drummer behind me and I find, find the microphone. So, I, I go into the microphone. I say to everybody, all right, um, I think it's a cruel joke that uh, I have to follow up Twyla. If you guys can take the bar and put it all the way down here, that'd be great. <laughs> I had already at this point embarrassed myself because this. I only realized this like the next morning is that he didn't say here it's here comes Twyla. He said, here comes twilight which wow. is the movie that this song was a theme song for so i'm up there talking about nobody like <laughs> no like i'm they must have thought that there was something wrong with me and so <laughs> and so you know but i'm, I'm enjoying myself this song opens with a, a riff that goes da-na-na-na-na-na-na. and so i like headbang and the crowd goes wild for that point only that was really the only point that they that they went went crazy because <laughs> this song has a dissident rhythm it's a little bit offbeat on purpose it sounds great um but i forgot that and and after the first couple words she goes no sir well i don't want and she, there's a beat in between like after she says no sir i completely ran through it so the first entire line of the song I am I am off time. The crowd's sync, trying yeah. to sing back with me, uh, sing it back with me, and I uh, I I'm trying to find my place. Then I realize as soon as I the music started as well is that, and you have to know this, and you probably prepare for this. I was not aware that as opposed to regular karaoke, live band karaoke is really loud. Um, I gotta tell you, Matt, I might as well have been deaf. Like I might as well, I was just like shooting out blanks of, of notes. Like I had no idea what they were because I couldn't hear myself. So, so whatever came out of my mouth, couldn't tell you, couldn't tell you if I was on key, couldn't tell you if that auto tune was helping me out at all. But, um, but at the end of the day, uh, and I, and by the way, like I was dancing the whole time. So at some point I was completely out of breath till I was just like choking out the notes. And I was just, I was just, yeah. Um, I, I ended up running off the stage and, and leaving the venue <laughs> like for the rest of the night. Cause I was, I was embarrassed at the time, but if I was anybody else, uh, it would be the most embarrassing story of my life. But me being me, I'm thinking, um, well, I'm going to have to go back and redeem myself. Oh, <laughs> and no. So, and so, uh, yeah, we're, we'll, uh, Next time they've got it, I'm, uh, you know, you can find me in, at uh, at uh, the Moroccan Lounge. I will, I will be singing another song. I was like, I was like, maybe I should pick something, something easier next time. Like Muse. No, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm going to, I'm going. Yeah, to the trick is is definitely pick something you're already comfortable with and, <laughs> and know pretty well. 
But yeah, if you haven't sung with a live band before, singing with monitors and all that stuff can be tricky and take some getting used to. Well, that's the thing. You don't get a monitor a live live karaoke. You're just you're just winging it, you know, up there. Wow. Band must be really, really good to be able to play that stuff just like all because there. you also have, um, you know, like the words running below you. Like, so oh. they're actually playing it to the time of the words. In fact, when I was off beat, I remember thinking, man, this, this like program isn't great because it's not even playing it to time. And yeah. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Well, it's to me. give you an idea how long ago I did it, we just had a book up there with words, a loose leaf book, and people would read from Really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. Anyway, that's a, uh, yeah, uh, you know, you're brave for putting that out there, but I think, <laughs> yes, that is something that will grab attention, and, and, you know, it's a funny story, and why not share that with the audience? That your audience already loved you anyway. They're not going to be judgmental against you. It's it's yeah. the strangers who saw you for the first time doing that that I'd be concerned about. But to be to add one more thing though, I suspected something about this crowd again. Never went went to live band karaoke, and and it ended up being exactly like I thought. Every single person in that room treated the person on stage like they were a rock star for that three and a half minutes wow, it was wonderful like i remember cool. the people in front of the stage they were like they were you know like you know going to the music they were encouraging me um and i'm sure that they did that for everybody it was really sweet and that's another reason why i'm excited to go back and if i were if i had my wits about me i would have thanked everybody into the microphone before i but i ran away um to make sure that i got out of there in time so wow. <laughs> well your fellow west coasty Sam Stewart is with us today. He goes by S-Man Stew, or S-Man Stew? I don't know how to pronounce that, S-Man Stew. Uh, anyway, I, I'm not sh- I know he, he, he grew up in the D.C. area, but he's, he's got two bios. One says he lives in Fresno, and one says he's in Los Angeles. Uh, so I don't know. But he's another guy who I've had a lot on recently who are really good at what they do. But they're not good at what they don't do, which is, and what I mean by that is the got into comedy to be a comedian, and I got into music to be a musician. Nobody wants to do the marketing, promotional bullshit work that comes with the. And so uh, Sam is another one of these guys who's very funny, very talented, uh, but I looking him up and, and, and trying to get some information on where we can follow him. I think his Facebook page is what I have in his YouTube page. Facebook page seems like he doesn't post that often. I don't know where we can find out that much about him, but hopefully we'll learn about him right now. You want to welcome him in, uh, Sam Stewart, to the Coffee with the Dog show. Sam, welcome. Hey, Sam, welcome. All right. Thank you. <laughs> so as I was saying, well, first of all, where are you from? Are you in Fresno or are you in L.A. right now? I'm in Fresno right now. Yeah. All right. Comedy scene up there? A big comedy scene going on up there or not? Yeah, I like I so I started in Fresno and then uh, like everybody else, I moved down to L.A. And um, I was in L.A. for a couple of years. And then, you know, I don't know. I just missed the scene up here a little better. And we were getting shows in Sacramento as well. So it was like, why do the whole six hours when I could just do three? So right. move back. Yeah, Sacramento's got a pretty uh, pretty dynamic comedy scene, yes? Yes. 
Yeah. Are we are we on a major delay or something? It seems like my my uh, my you're hearing me on like a few seconds delay. Anyway, Sam Stewart, S Man Stew. How do I pronounce that? S Man Stew. Yes, yeah, S Man Stew. S Man Stew. Uh, now, um, what? Why? Why that is? And the branding on that. Why did you? Why did you choose that as a as the branding? Um, well, I mean, I have a very boring uh, first and last name, uh, and um, I was doing a, yeah, yeah, and uh, I was I was doing a casino once, and everybody had stage names, right? And the guy who, and you know, we we we, we learned ahead of time, like maybe a month before that this was happening. So the guy that's doing the show is like, hey, you know, you should really do a stage name, like you know, something catchy. You know, we'll, we'll put it on t-shirts and stuff, or whatever, blah blah, right? Uh, and you could you could have all of this stuff, and I was like, all right, so I've got to think of a stage name, right? So, uh, you know, I'm I'm a really big Superman fan, right? Uh, hopefully, I don't, I don't get in trouble for saying this, but yeah, I'm a really yeah. big Superman fan. But I know I can't say Superman, right? So I figured I could just take the U P E R off and just have an S Man, right? Uh, so that's <laughs> where that comes from. And then the <laughs> the stew part comes because uh, the night of the show. You know, I still haven't thought of the name, right? I got to tell this guy like in five minutes. So I go downstairs to like the cafeteria area and I see this really, really big guy, right? This buff guy uh, eating uh, like uh, SpaghettiOs, right? Like alphabet <laughs> soup, right? And I thought it was crazy. Like this really big dudes eating these like, you know, this alphabet soup, right? Like this kid's thing, you Kitty know. Food. Uh, <laughs> right. But I had the thought if he was eating S's, they would be S Man Stew, right? So I was like, okay, I like that. That's catchy, right? Uh, so I run upstairs catchy. and I tell the guy S Man Stew, and uh, it just kind of it kind of stuck. Okay, so when people want to find out about you and where you where you're going to be and all that stuff, because I know you have a LinkedIn page, uh, Happy Panda Productions, right? Uh, you have your uh, Facebook and you have a YouTube. Where do people find out? Where you, what are you using for uh, marketing to let people know where you're going to be? You know, you you were absolutely right when you called me out about the 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 non marketing aspect. You're not alone. Uh, you're not alone. Everybody in this yeah. business is like that. <laughs> but honestly, uh, I do most of my stuff on Instagram. But I do need to start fixing some of this other stuff. You know, I do need to start posting more on Facebook. Uh, I did a show once, and uh, this was like a couple years ago, and uh, I told a woman that I, I had a Facebook, and she was like, still? So uh, <laughs> I guess I haven't been on it since then. Uh, but uh, but yeah, Instagram is like where I post most of the things that I'm doing. But no, you're right. You're absolutely right. I need to, you know, the YouTube thing I need to start uh, doing again. Uh, you know, I need to I need to fix all of this stuff, you know. You, you, yeah, you, you inspired. it's hard. That well, you know what? I had a guest on last week, Paul Paul Peters, Paul Paul P. His his he like you. He went with a superhero, Peters Parker's. Uh, was it was his kind of stage name? But uh, I mentioned that you know it was really difficult with his marketing to find out more about him, and he came back to me two days later. He said, "Can you can we get a, a consulting session? I want to talk to you about like what I should do best." practices for websites and all this stuff really inspired and now he's got a fire lit under him he's doing some real marketing and 
I, I have to say, you know, I don't want to take credit for this, but I am kind of patting myself on the back. He's gotten some new gigs off of the marketing he's done in the last week. So I feel like, you know what, I, I helped the guy. <laughs> and I can, I will continue to do that. Um, so where did it start for you? You were a vet, right? You you were uh, you came out of uh, the military and and uh, thought I want to be a comedian, or did you know before? You know, like, did you know from your youth that you wanted to be a comedian? Yeah, yeah, I knew very early. Uh, my dad set me and my sister down when I was eleven. My sister was ten, and he was like, "Listen, from this day on, you can start building the person you want to be." Right. And I'm like, damn, dad, I'm 11, dude. Recess and lunch. That's, that's all I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, but yeah, but he says that, right? So I'm thinking about it as a kid. And I remember uh, he took me to a, to the circus, right? So it's called the Universe Soul Circus, which is an all-black circus. And I remember watching the circus thinking, you know, this is pretty cool. They're doing acts and, you know, they're doing tricks and stuff. But I noticed that the clowns would come out in between acts to kind of like entertain people while they were setting things up. And my dad would laugh, and my dad's got, like, one of these infectious laughs. Like, he laughs, and, like, everybody around us laughs because, like, he's got, like, this, like, like ruckus, you know, laugh, right? So I remember thinking, like, I just want to make him laugh. Like, I want to I have a job where, like, he's laughing, right? So I was like, well, what? So I asked him, what are those people doing? And he's like, well, those people are clowns, son. And I was like, all right, I want to be a clown. Like, that. that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to make people laugh as a clown. Uh Unfortunately, I didn't know at the time that I hate makeup. Like I hate, makeup, <laughs> like on my, I hate anything on my face. Yeah, makeup especially. Like I, I just can't do it. So, uh, and I found this out because I, I was doing plays in school, and they wanted to put makeup on me, and I was like, no, nah, I don't, I don't want makeup on my face. Uh, but, but, <laughs> but the bear is brown. I'm like, nope, don't want it on my face. Um, <laughs> so, so, um. I told my dad, I was like, listen, the clown thing's not going to work out. I don't know, you know, <laughs> what I could do. But, you know, you know, in his infinite wisdom, he takes me downstairs. And my dad's super old, right? So, like, he takes me downstairs. Uh, I'm, like, 12. And he brings out an A-track. Like, not, not an A-track. He brings out, like, a, like a disc player, right? And he plays uh, Richard Pryor on this disc. Now, my mom hates swearing. So, like, we had to, like, turn it down real low. And we're, like, really close to it. And, like, I'm, like, laughing my behind off, right? Uh, so I asked my dad, like, what is this? What is this? Like, what is this guy doing? Like, I don't, what is this thing? And he, he goes, oh, the guy's a comic. And, like, he's telling jokes. And I go, okay, that's what I want to do. That, that's it. That's what I want to do. So I knew wow. very early. Yeah, I was, like, 11 and 12 when I was, like, nah, this is definitely making people laugh is what I want to do. Setting the bar high right from the start. I mean, you, you know, I th I think uh, I talk about this often. If there were, it was a Mount Rushmore for comedians, uh, Richard Pryor would definitely be on that short list of of people saying like one of the best, if not the best of all time. So setting a, that bar pretty high from from. So when you when did it actually start for you? When did you actually uh, take that first step and say? I'm going to get on stage and, and see if I can make people laugh. Well, unfortunately, like, I didn't know you could just get on stage. I would have done it, you know, at 12 or 13. Like, I would have, as soon yeah. as I could have gone into the to the club. But I didn't know that. Like, I thought you had to be, like, 21 to get into the clubs. So I waited till I was about 20, and I was in the military. Uh, no, actually, yeah, I had to be, like, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20 21. I was in the military, 
And uh, a friend of mine told me that a comedy competition was happening close to the base. And she was like, yo, you, you should do it. And, you know, I had written nothing, you know, uh, I had like little, little books that I had written like funny things in, but like they weren't jokes. Like they were just like, okay, these funny stories or whatever. Uh, but I was like, okay, cool. I'll do it. You know, what she didn't tell me was it was a competition. She didn't tell me that part. So my, my gosh, first time she threw on stage, you into a, a contest when you had no material. You know, that's the way to do it, isn't it? Though, weren't we just talking about putting ourselves out there? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. She, she threw me to the wolves. Uh, but yeah, it um, it, it went really well. Another friend of mine, he he came with me as well, and um, you know, it it went pretty good. Like it went better than I thought it was gonna go. Um, the only the only thing that I thought was really funny, and I and I love this moment now as a comic because I've been doing it for a while. Uh, it's like when comics forget their jokes. Like I love that moment, right? Like when you notice, okay, yeah, nah, you know, we're off the rails, right? Um, <laughs> I wrote my entire set word for word, right? Like I wrote it word for word, and I memorized it, right, word for word. And the first laugh that I got from the audience made me laugh, but I completely forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah. oh, that's right. They're going to do this thing and then it's going to interrupt me. And then now I don't know. I don't know what to do. Right. Um, so it was funny. You know, I just had that moment for a couple of seconds. And then uh, thank God uh, something came back to me and I was able to get through it. Uh, so it went, it went pretty good, actually. Wow. And how? And yeah. so how long ago was that? How long have you been doing it? Yeah. yeah. Well, I've been doing it since about 2009. Right. Wow. Uh, yeah. So a long time. Oh, my and, gosh. That's uh, when I started Rec Radio. Okay, one. Well, so exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I've, I've I've had some good moments. Uh, you know, I've had some like really awesome shows. Uh, I've gotten to meet a ton of ton of uh, you know, comics or whatever. So it is it's just fun. It's just really fun. Now let's let's talk about race if we can because you talked about a black circus and as an old man, uh, old white man, I never even heard that there was such a thing. I've never heard as, that either. As an all black circus. Um and um I've been talking about this lately because we live in a time because Richard Pryor had no problems addressing race on the stage and racial issues and things like this. And I think if he was around today, uh, no matter what, he would be chastised by a bunch of people. Do you uh, I notice on your Facebook page, you, you definitely are not shy about expressing your feelings about this. But can do you incorporate that in your in your comedy? And what do you feel is uh, the temperature of the audience in? Are they accepting of that kind of stuff in today's world? Or you have to kind of really be careful? Yeah, I um I wish we could have got a Richard Pryor in 2022. Like that just that would have been magical, right? Um, I, I talk about I like being the black guy that I feel like anybody can talk to, right? Because unfortunately, we do live in a society where I think tensions are so high that like even if somebody says something to you by accident, you know, people are at like each other's throats, and then you know, now we just hate each other because of that incident and not really, you know, the issue. So I like being somebody who can talk to anybody. You know, I tell my friends all the time, I'm your black guy. You can ask all your black questions to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all of them. Okay. Uh, I'm the black representative for uh, the West Coast, right? Uh, but uh, no, but realistically, right? Like, you know, uh, I, I think people should have like these open conversations, the open, open dialogues. And I think what we think is going on isn't the thing that's going on. So the more you hear, the more you're like, oh, well, I thought this was totally something else. And it's like, nah, dude, it's, you know, 
uh, it's completely different. And I like doing racial things uh, on stage because it just takes away the tension, right? Like, no matter what you're talking about, it just takes away that thing. And it allows people, because after you laugh, then we get to talk about it. And, you know, why not do that thing? You know, I uh, couldn't agree more. I think part of the, the, the result of people trying to shut down comedy is they're trying, uh, the net effect of that is makes us further apart and because humor is the thing that can break down those walls and, and make us understand, you know, people are people. Uh, right. But we're, if we're afraid to even joke about anything, and I brought this up yesterday, I don't mean to soliloquy here, but uh, it started with, Andy Richter, who was on Conan O'Brien, talking about Norm Macdonald making jokes about homosexuals, and uh, he was oh he sat through it all these years, and now after Norm's dead, he wants to beat Norm over the head about it and saying how all his gay friends or his gay family members might be upset by that, and like you haven't even talked to your gay friends or your gay family members, you're assuming they're upset. You're not. Uh, uh, you're not them and you're putting it on them that they would be outraged by this. So it's right. same with race. You, we, we assume all black people are going to be offended by this show, or all white people are going to be offended. You don't talk about that. It's always the person who's not affected by it, who's assuming outrage and offense. <laughs> it's, like, it's the three teenagers on Twitter that are, that are, you know, <laughs> representing all of liberal politics. Right. So, but I brought up Rickles and Danzel Washington because Rickles used to make a lot of jokes about race and not, not really, if you would listen to it today, you, you wouldn't think it was being um, really mean-spirited, but it was stereotypical 1960s, 1970s white people attitudes towards what black people were and would make those jokes. But Denzel Washington was such a big fan of his and not offended by that, that when he was on talk shows with, with, with Rickles, he wouldn't purposely say i'm not getting i want to meet don rickles i think he's the funny and i'm going to introduce my 12 12 year old son to him it's because he wasn't offended by it he realized you know th these are important conversations to have and you're getting through to people who might actually hold those uh you know bigoted beliefs and breaking them down for him and making them feel ridiculous about those you you know so there's that whole idea about you Again, talk to Denzel. If you think that he's going to be offended, talk to him. Not assume he's going to be offended because, it, you know, you're scared of going there. That's what I right. think. Yeah. Uh, so you talk You talk about it in your comedy. You talk, you, you breach, uh, broach race, racial topics in, uh, in today's world uh, from the stage. Yeah, I, I like it because, you know, as a comic, there's a moment I think all of us, uh, remember uh, when you're doing stand-up because at first you just want to be funny, right? You just want to be funny. But I remember I did a joke one night and the audience reacted to it in a way that I didn't anticipate. And then I went, oh, I can make you feel things too. Like I can say something that's going to make you feel something, you know, and because I've said it now, you know, it's out there, it's a thing, we can talk about it, right? And I love that feeling too. Like I like grossing, I like grossing audiences out. You know, I like them, I, and I like making people laugh about things that you shouldn't laugh at, right? But um, I started really doing race because of a midget joke. I mean, because of a little person joke that I wrote, right? <laughs> I think <laughs> again. Now you you just stumbled there on midget. I I've I've got a lot of little 
people friends, believe it or not. Right. And uh, they none of them are offended by the word midget as long as they know what your heart. You're not saying it to be mean, and they will use right. it. Kind of like black people can say the N word, and white people can't. Uh, if you're in a room full of little people, they could they'll throw midget around like crazy. If you say it, you got to be really careful. But they have to right. know you f- to accept you as right. having a right to say it. Right. And, and <laughs> you know, honestly, for the joke, whether I use little people or midget, it didn't matter. Right. So I think a lot of comics are in that spot, too. Like they don't know the the word that everybody wants to say. Right. But anyway, I have a, I have a bunch of jokes about uh, little people because I dated one. Right. When I was uh, younger. Right. <laughs> and I was like, should I talk about that on stage? Like, can I can I talk about that? Right. And one night I'm practicing outside. Like one of the first times I do the joke, I'm practicing outside and a woman walks up and she can hear me practicing the joke right and she goes you're not going to say that tonight right like you, you you know that's offensive to you know little people and because she said that i was like there's no way i'm not getting this out tonight. <laughs> right. there's just no way right and what i didn't know is uh in the audience there was actually a little person in the audience so I begin the joke and you could hear the woman who was scolding me outside. You could hear her go, oh, no, or like, oh, my God. or something, Right. <laughs> uh, and I thought she was mad because I was doing a joke. But she was like, no, nope, the person's like right beside me. Right. But the great part about this story is I after my set, I, you know, I go outside, you know, to calm down a little bit. And the little person walks up to me and she's like, dude, that was freaking hilarious. She's like, nobody talks about little people. So we're just right. a, this invisible group of people. Nobody talks about, you know, and you made it, you made us visible for like the, you know, the five minutes or 10 minutes you talked about us. And yeah, I was like, cool. man, I'm glad you really liked it, dude. I got, I got a bunch more, you know, if you come tomorrow night. Um, so, I, you know, I just, I, because I had that moment with her, I was like, well, dude, I can do that with anything now, right? So I do it with, with, with race, right? Because I think people are so uptight about race. Uh, so I, I joke about race a lot. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, there's no way if we if we we can't just sweep it under the rug and pretend that uh, racial issues don't exist. So the only way to really move forward progress as people uh, without killing each other is to have open conversations about stuff you're never going to uh, change anybody's and I have you know I'm very open about this I have friends who are deeply uh, rooted with racism in their hearts and I don't give up on them uh, because I think you know I don't give up on anybody, but I believe people can change, even if you get old and set in your ways, that you can um, really evolve and change your thinking about things. But that can never happen if we never talk about it and really uh, get some understanding about what it's really all about. You know, so I applaud you for doing that, especially in a time where. It's not necessarily, you know, it's not an easy thing to do. In comedy, you never know what you can get away with, what you should talk about, what's going to end. I think the problem is, and somebody said this, you got to be big enough to be canceled. Nobody wants to cancel you until you're you're somebody. But Oh, I can't wait to be big enough to be canceled. Huh? Yeah, I can't that, wait to be back. I, that's what I wish on everybody. Everybody who comes on the show, I, I wish they get big enough that people want to cancel. <laughs> oh, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> I, I uh, already have the joke. Uh, I, I already have the joke. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, does that? Do you ever 
uh, think about that? I mean, go through that now as you, you are preparing a set? Do you think of, uh, you go over stuff really carefully? Like, uh, maybe I should cut this word out because... Or, or maybe I should put it in because of that. Oh, that just the outrage factor. No, honestly, I um I feel like as comics because you know we're the dirty we're the dirty art, right? As comics, we're philosophers. Like that's all we are. People were killed I because agree. they said the earth wasn't flat, right? So if you're not willing to stick your neck out there, you're not doing anybody any serve any you know any any good, right? Um, the only thing I'm concerned about is I want. I want you to understand the joke. Like, I don't want you to be mad because I said something. I'd rather you just understand the joke. So if I say midget instead of little person and you're mad because I said midget, but you didn't get any of the joke, I'm like, I don't care about midget. I just care about you getting the joke. So if I'm going to say little person to do the joke, dude, I'm going to say little person. It doesn't matter. Right? So to me, that's what matters more. Right? Like, I don't care about the stuff that, like, you know, uh, I just want to be able to get the joke out. I want you to know the joke. And, and the offensive stuff to me doesn't make sense either because like, you know, Dave Chappelle keeps, keeps getting in trouble because of the transgender community. Right. But if you watch his, if you watch his specials, he's said things in the specials about transgender people that you would have to know if you wanted to be PC about transgender things. Right. You don't do that. If you hate somebody, right. You don't no. learn their pronouns. You don't learn how they want to be, you know, you don't learn all of this stuff if you hate people. So I feel yeah. like if you listen to what Dave is actually saying, he's on your side, you know? I've, well, that I, that's a, this is, I you know, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I talk about the Chappelle thing a lot. And I've watched his specials and watched them in depth. And I came across with the, uh, uh, that he had a very big heart for, and I don't remember her name, but the trans uh, oh, person yeah. who was extremely uh, supportive of him and she ended up killing herself and all that stuff. Right. He was totally, he understood her as a friend and had love for her. And so I don't think he's a hater, but I think what happened with him is people heard the first words of the where, wherever this started, the first time he started to talk about that, and they just decided he's a hater. Now, everything he tries to say to kind of uh, articulate what he really feels is not getting heard. People are just saying, oh, he's a hater, he's a hater. And so even if he brings, he's just digging himself deeper in the hole by even broaching the subject anymore because people can't hear the explanation or the articulation of what he really feels about people. And I think a lot of it came from his frustration, again, about race issues. He see what I'm going to put out, what I, how I interpreted what he said. He sees the trans community got more accepted quicker when they started uh, fighting for equal rights than black people have over 250 years. And his frustration, well, it only took them 30 years. It's taken us 250 years and they're moving faster. Why? And not saying they shouldn't have equal rights, saying, why is it taking my people so long when when it's coming easier for them? That's all he said. And now he's digging himself uh, a hole every time he tries to explain how what that's what he meant about it. Right. Uh, any, any comment on that from you? Yeah, Jess? well, I think... You know, because I, I, I agree. Right. But I think to, to take it a step further, you know, a little bit is I think part of what Dave is saying is, is if it's taking us this long to get to where we need to get to and you believe you've made progress because of what the world looks like today, I don't think you understand what's really going on, because what's going to really happen is and I think a good example of this is the Roe versus Wade thing. Right. So if all you wanted was women's rights, if all you wanted was like women's, 
you know, rights and e- equality, then this Roe versus Wade thing has to be a gigantic step backwards, right? Right. But if we as a society just got together and went, you know what? There, let's fix the let's fix one thing at a time. Let's fix this thing first, so that once that thing is fixed, then we take that same formula and we fix the next thing, right? But if we stop every time we get to a point where we think things are good and we just jump onto the next thing or we put a bunch of stuff together, then nothing nothing happens, right? You know, uh, I think blacks have been trying to get equal footing for like, you know, 250 something years, right? So when you see something like the trajectory of trans uh, uh, rights happening, it makes you think, dang, dude, that like that happened like, you know, rather quickly. But when I'm looking at women's, you know, rights and what's going on with the Roe versus Wade thing, I think, no, what's really going on is I think it's just pandering. At, at this point, the whole, you know, they know the cold words and the stuff to say uh, to pander, but realistically, nothing's, nothing's happening, right? And I just wish that everybody would get on the same page and, you know, just help each other out. And I think that would help us a lot, uh, a lot better. Now, Jess, I know you got something to say that Roe Ro, Ro, Ro v. Wade has come into the... Uh... I guess I have more of a question um, just going off of that description of what Chappelle said, because I don't remember exact. I mean, I don't have it quoted in my brain what he he's he said quite a few things, but um, I, I guess I don't understand what the comparison is of time, because black people have existed as long as trans people and women have. So, I mean, what's the comparison of like the thir- the they only took 30 years for their civil rights the rights movement the, the the actual uh where where people started to try to make it an issue and i mean before uh, then we just like literally hid trans people in alleys yeah, like we, i don't we, know what yeah the- we did, we just ignored they existed that's i that guess yeah. yeah so i i mean it, i mean it's true that that really you know no one's to the, obviously we're, we're going backwards in some places where we're not up to some place, uh, you know, levels of um, freedom in other places. But uh, I just, I, I feel like, I feel like it's, it's, it's shit across the board right now for, for, you know, a lot of the minorities. Well, for me, uh, I, I really have a no, cause it, everything's been easy for me because I'm a, I'm a white male. <laughs> <laughs> a white heterosexual male i got it easy so i i i defer to both of you about, about struggles because i at this point uh my life i mean I, like i said i'm just not gonna have sex with men anymore and, and then me let's neither. just see how that goes <laughs> i'm with you on that solidarity high five there we go high five <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it's, it's we live in a very tricky world as far as the landscape and what you can say on the stage in comedy, and I think that's a bad thing for all art forms. Do you see that happening in like music and film? Are we being like in those in those art forms? Are we being as hypercritical about what can be put out there in that in those art forms? Do you think? I, I think so. Uh, I'm a film buff. Right. Like I love movies. Uh, I have a film degree. Um, oh. so, yeah. So I love movies. Yeah. I, I went to Santa Monica College uh, and, and got a uh, I got an AA in uh, film studies. Loved it. Awesome. Uh, you know, I got to work at Fox Studios a couple of times. Oh, uh, cool. great, great experience. But even in that landscape, they were very hyper aware of, you know, th- what was going on. Right. Um and, and it's weird because you don't know whether it's for good or bad, right? Like, you don't know. Like, you don't know if they're just doing the thing. 
you know, where every time a show pops up, there's a checklist and they're like, is there a black guy? Okay, check. Is there a woman? All right, check. And it's like, do they really care if that's how they're doing it, right? Uh, so it's like, I don't know. Or even if that, you know, the person gets in, is it still good that they're in, right? There's a transgender person on Supergirl. I freaking love Supergirl, right? Right. Uh, so, I mean, like, you know, I, I think, I, I think at the end of the day, I think if we, if just being seen is the thing that people want, oh, cool, you know, I'm, I'm all for it. I just think that it's going to have to be a little more than that, right? And I think we're just, we're stuck in this moment right now where it's like people are, people are just trying to be seen, you know, and um, once that's, once that wave's gone, then we can really buckle down and like, you know, hash out what's, what's really going on. Right. Yeah. I want to uh, switch gears here. Now, Jess, do you have anything to add about the film stuff? Because you're also a, uh, a, filmmaker uh cool that's all i have to say that's really awesome yeah Yeah. cool experiences um i uh, now music i see on your facebook page at least uh that there was at least one or two shows that you had that were listed as uh hip-hop and comedy now william conway who's in the audience he he produces i think he's got a show called on tonight called the dope show which is a mix of hip-hop and music that's strange to me because i'm an older guy and back in the day we never mixed we never mixed comedy with music i mean they were two almost contrasting art forms where people go to hear music they get loud and that stuff there's no way to kind of bring them back down into a headspace where they can enjoy comedy i'm seeing a lot more hip-hop mixed with with comedy shows um is that an easy easy uh, pairing to make? Because it doesn't seem like to me that it would be. You get people, you know, dancing, singing, whatever, and then all of a sudden the room is loud. How do you get comedy to, to happen in a room like that and get people's attention and get them into the mind space of comedy now from, from hip-hop? Yeah, it's tough. Uh, and I've done this. I've done this a lot. Right. Um, I was lucky enough to uh, I used to do shows or host shows for a guy who was one of the original uh, Temptations. And um, um, it was a hip, it was a hip hop kind of slash like jazz kind of show. And if hip hop or music happens before the comedy, there's just no way to do it. Like you just can't do it. So generally what we would do is we would do the comedy first and do the music second. So on the show that you're talking about, uh, we usually do a like a spoken word artist or or a like an RB kind of artist first, we do stand up second and then we do the hip hop portion of it last. Um, and it's been going pretty good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's what I'm, I'm I'm kind of involved in, you know, at the moment. But the problem is for, for myself, I'm a comic, right? So like, I don't like sharing the stage at all. Like, I, I hate. <laughs> no, I get it. <laughs> Thank you for saying that because so many people. Uh, and, you know, especially the ones who are more established, who, who've who got, you know, got a name for themselves. They're, oh, that's all part of the game. Yeah. I like, no, man, I know me. Uh, when I'm on a stage, I don't want another, I don't want another act coming. I want to own that stage. I want to own this crowd. This is, this is my time. I don't want to share it with somebody else. Right. And I'm always like feeling like uh, unusual because people are uh, thinking like, uh, no, you can't be that way. It's, it's, it's I think we, more people are like me than will admit it. So thank you for admitting that. Dude, I'm totally like that. And, uh, and uh, you know, I know I'm not supposed to name drop, but uh, a very cool celebrity who I admire a lot told me that she wanted me to do uh, improv. She was like, dude, you got to do improv. It's going to make your stand up, you know, a thousand times better. 
And it took one minute, you know, in a stand, you know, improv workshops where I was like, no, I hate this. Like I, there's like people <laughs> on the stage with me and they're saying stuff. And then they kept getting mad at me. They were like, hey, uh, you're not supposed to, you know, talk to the audience. You know, we're in a scene and the scene's happening and you got a pantomime. And I'm like, yeah, but there's an audience though. Like we can send, you know, funny stuff to the audience. I know. find improv to be terrifying. Uh, yeah. I've not, I haven't done a lot of it, but the the improv I have done scares the shit out of me. <laughs> um, yeah. Jess, any anything on improv? This is a sign um, that you were the the third person this week to have brought up improv, and <laughs> I even got an invite to to uh, you know join a U, UCB class with my friend, and I I turned it down because this season this fall is going to be crazy for me. But like, what? I don't know, man. I'm, I was in second city. Second city, huh? Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you know that stuff definitely terrifies me. Steve Byrne, who is a pretty established comedian, he, he, I had him on, and we were talking about him opening for Kanye at Red Rocks, and Ooh. I was like, "What kind of nightmare gig is that?" <laughs> because. People are not there to see comedy. They came there to see Kanye. Now you're going out to do 15 minutes of jokes and all you're going to hear is, bring on Conway, you know, and that kind of right. stuff. And and the crowd in a Red Rocks place is not going to be quiet. Even if they're having quiet conversation, the, that many people having quiet conversation would be loud, but most of them aren't having it. They're just talking like I'm talking right now. So it's going to be that roar of people talking and you're trying to tell jokes over that. And he said it was well worth it because, a couple of things, if you can be good in that environment, you can you can run, you can can own any room. And right. second of all, the paycheck is just beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Any thoughts on that? Like in a you know opening for a major, major hip hop star like like Kanye in a room full of ten thousand, fifteen thousand people to do comedy. What, yeah, what I would. would yeah, I'd totally do it. Right, I would. I would get in line to do that. Um, and a cool, you know, six degrees of separation thing with Kanye. Um, when I first got to LA, I met D. Ray Davis, who's the guy that's on the, um, he's, he's in Kanye's documentary. And if you listen to Kanye's first CD, he's the comedian that he has on the CD. So, uh, this wow. guy's like, you know, he's been with Kanye, you know, the, the whole time. So I meet him when I get to, when I, when I get to LA and cool guy, you know, we do, we do a couple, uh, a couple of shows together and then uh he, he's getting progressively more famous like you know he's been in movies and all kinds of stuff now right so he's getting like progressively more famous you know when i know him so one night i go hey man you're trying to hit the comedy store tonight you know so we can, we can get up and he, he's like he's like nah dude i'm hanging out with kanye and i was like oh okay nice. uh, i'll see you tomorrow then. <laughs> yeah nice, nice work thanks if for you the can invite man right yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah right yeah. no i didn't even think of that but yeah that would yeah. piss me off come on man you can't... <laughs> i thought we were friends <laughs> right <laughs> uh where so i noticed because you mentioned now you have a film degree some you've actually produced a couple of uh comedy shorts i guess um right. on some of your media and i don't know where it was whether it was youtube or, yeah, or facebook YouTube. or something yeah. yeah um that kind of stuff you're interested in doing that now is that part of your future plans of being a filmmaker television producer or actor or any of that kind of stuff 
Yeah, well, it was fun doing it, you know, because I was in, I was living in L.A. at the time in Santa Monica, and it was tremendously fun, right? And none of the stuff that I did then I could do today. None of it, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, but it was fun. And um, why, why couldn't you do it today? Because uh, it's weird. Because like um, I, I just saw a clip of, a clip of uh, Snoop Dogg, right? And he's talking about how. Uh, his music back in the day was very derogatory towards women, right? Like, you know, the, the interviewer admits, like, hey, man, you know, it was kind of, it was a little much. And then she goes, would you change it at all today? If you could go back, would you change it? And he's like, hell no. Nah. And I feel like that's how I feel, right? Like, I wrote a bunch of stuff back in the day that I thought was freaking hilarious and filmed it. And I don't know if today's audience is ready for stuff like that. You know? Wow. Uh, but... For the moment, loved it, and f- for the place in history that it's in, I think it was you know uh, wonderful, and would do it again, do it again in a heartbeat. Um, um, are you optimistic about because um, you talk about the place in history? About I mean the world in general. I think I best justice, and I think she said she was optimistic, but I don't. I being from seeing what I see. And being an old person, I don't know how being a younger person and looking at the future could be inspiring for anybody. Are you in, uh, are you hopeful, inspired? Do you think we're the, things are going to get better, especially here in America, but worldwide and for the human race in general? Are you an optimist? Uh, I'm optimistic for comedy. Yes, for everything you else. Are? No, no, for everything else, not at all. <laughs> yeah. Well. That's a good point, because I think as the world gets worse, we'll probably need more comedy. I had that argument with somebody, too, because somebody was saying uh, how disconnected I was, because uh, over the 4th of July weekend, there was a thing on CNN that was shared on Twitter about how people are cutting back on entertainment because of inflation and all this stuff. And I said, no, that's BS. I'm in show business, man. And I see and I think I've studied this. That in times of depression, recession, and all, and times of struggle, entertainment thrives because people want to get away more. And I think you're right. As the world goes to the hell, hell in a handbasket, comedy will thrive. <laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I, I, I absolutely agree. And I feel like honestly, the more you can take on as a comic, the better you know it's going to be for everybody, right? Because I, I look at you know. I think all comics look at when we're on that stage, we're sharing that space with just those people, right? Now, obviously, they're taking pictures and videos or whatever, but, like, it's a very intimate moment, right? Even if it's thousands of people, like, you're, you're just thinking about the people in this room, right? So you're, you're like, how can I take all these people's problems and make them forget about them for this hour that I'm on stage, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I just think it's a magical thing that we get to do, dude. Like, I, I think it's just a wonderful thing uh that we get to do and i think the worst the world is unfortunately the more people do need comedy so i totally agree with you on that you know that you made an interesting point there and somebody else made it in the last week or so i don't remember who said that but about connecting with the people you're with in that room i think that's a lost lost art form across humanity and and, because we're so much living in the future living in the next moment that we're never here and present with the people who were in the room with us at that time. Well, actually, it right. wasn't a comedian who said that. It was somebody on my nighttime show. It was more of a self-help guy. But <laughs> we, were t- we were talking about, you know, just to 
let the people you are with know that you're truly there for them. And the same is definitely true if you're on stage in a comedy club or a theater or anything like this is nobody else matters but the people in that room right now. And you've got to be 100% there for them. And I think that this is a, a lesson that a lot of young comics, a lot of young musicians can really uh, learn from and, and, and really... Um, take to heart is that don't be don't be thinking about the next gig don't be thinking about the next right. song think about this moment and the people in front of you right now and how they're feeling it um, Absolutely. good stuff. yeah um so are, now are you still the guy who writes out his complete set word for word and memorizes or have you evolved oh. from that oh my gosh no oh thank goodness huh. uh no i um how i write now is i'll think of a usually you know, I don't know how most comics, you know, we all have our thing that we do, but usually I'll think of a punchline first, right? And okay, that's my premise. Like, I want to get to this point. And I don't, I try not to write a, a long jokes. I, I tend to shorten my jokes, you know? Um, I watched a lot of Red Fox when I was a kid, and I loved how Red could tell a thousand stories because it was so short, right? And he, he, and he would tell like actual jokes. So, I try to get to my punchline as fast as possible, right? And then I'm off to the next joke, and then off to the next joke, and then off to the next joke. And I think that works for me because if I notice, you know, okay, the audience doesn't like, you know, the gay jokes tonight. All right, cool, cool. I'll switch over to like, you know, the jokes about my dog, right? Okay, nope, they hate the dog jokes. All right, I, I can talk about, you know, I have an imaginary son that I talk about on stage, right? Uh, I can talk about that kid, right? Uh, <laughs> my dog's imaginary too. I forgot to say that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, wow. So it, it just gives you the, the opportunity to escape, you know, uh, when, you know, maybe they're not feeling those particular jokes that night, you know. Um, and I think it's easier to be funnier that way because, you know, audiences, they're only going to remember the first couple of seconds you're on stage and the last, you know, couple of things you say, right? So if you're just in one long story, they're not, you know, they're probably not going to remember that, right? That's just me personally. I, I just like, you know, uh, you, bombarding. You, Audience. Memory, memory frustrates the hell out of me when I see a comedy show that, especially if it's like a ninety-minute show, guy was great. I walk out of there and I say, "Well, that was the the greatest." And yeah, what do you, what do you remember from it? Oh, right. Come on, it's like I remember right. just tiny little bits. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe because Jess is right. Maybe because I smoked too much. too much pot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah. now smoking pot too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well. Your mom got upset with Richard Pryor. You had to turn it down. I ha I'm assuming you had to wait till your mom went on vacation or w went away for a few weeks to listen to Red Fox. Because uh, oh, yeah. that, that stuff was super dirty. <laughs> I mean, I had to, I'm, I wasn't really allowed to listen to those records when I was a kid. I had to wait till my parents were at, at work or something and sneak them right. out and listen. Really, really. Uh, I mean, Jess, are you familiar with this stuff or no? Millennials don't even know who Red Fox was. I mean, other than uh, Sanford, I'm right? familiar with Richard Pryor and I do I do know who Red Fox is but I couldn't recall recall oh, the yeah. show. No, his bits were like um uh, he had an album called Wash Your Ass. <laughs> <laughs> Says it all. Yeah. Uh cool stuff. Um yeah, so you know it, it's the, for you now uh where where are are you looking to um for comedy to, to get on the road oh yeah i know you're a family man you because it's a hard thing for comedians and sometimes it's a trade-off because i know people who are um they call it they think of it as a sacrifice but the, what they get a stand-up job that is 
doing corporate work or opening being the opening act for a warm-up act for a television show and all that stuff to to balance family and your your need to be a community what what are your like aspirations and goals do you want to be you know you want to be blown up in the uh, comedy world which means being away from your family at times or are you looking to be one of those guys who finds a niche close to home where you can do comedy and still be the family guy uh, well, right now I'm in school, right? And as soon as my school's done, I plan on getting back, like you know, into comedy uh, the way I was a couple of years ago. Um, but uh, j- to be clear, and I'm letting you guys behind the curtain, uh, I usually don't do this, but like I, all my family's imagined, right? Like they're imaginary. Okay. Are you? <laughs> whoa! You yeah. blew my mind with that because I thought you were a, a dad, and <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Uh, I usually don't say that though, so it's between us. Oh uh, well, um, all fifteen people watching know that. <laughs> uh, but no, I but I did make that sacrifice. Like I knew coming into comedy, even as a kid, that you know it would put the brakes on like having a family, you know, and all of that. Um, and honestly, I made that sacrifice. You know, doing comedy is something that I love. Uh, I'm passionate about it, and I love how I get to travel so much. You know. Um, and I understand why we're like cops. Like you're never going to see this guy. Right. And you're right. constantly going to be worried about him. So it just, it just never works out. If you look at the divorce, divorce rates for cops, it's about the same as, you know, comics and musicians. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it, I, I knew that going in basically. And I was like, you know what? Uh, you know, I'm addicted to the laugh. I, it's, it's an addiction. You know what? That's good advice. Don't, you know, I, I hate to be like uh, telling people how to live their lives, and I don't mean to come all across life. But if you're going to be in the arts, you have to really accept uh, that at least if if you are going to get married, that your spouse knows what to expect from that life. That listen, we're going to get, but my career until I'm to the place where I want to be and feel like I can just like put it on autopilot for a while. That's going to come first. And, you know, understanding that because I got married knowing that I was in the same mindset that you just were talking about. Right. And um, I had been on the road and had not been in touch with my family at all. I was, you know, disenfranchised from my family for whatever. My father got sick and was having a stroke. I met a girl the night before he had a stroke. I met her. She was kind of a groupie she was in the crowd i met her we went out for a uh, date ended up spending the night together my father has a stroke i get a phone call go home now she wants to take care of my father she did do his whole stroke until he was on his deathbed and uh, my father said uh he wanted us to get married and then everybody everybody in the room was oh they're engaged i like wait nobody i'm a musician you remember wait wait and so I was engaged, but my father asked my wife to to marry me on his deathbed. And of course, that oh. everybody was. And so I got married, but then I never had a conversation. You realize this means. Uh, Is that a real get, story? That's the truth. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I got married because my father asked my wife to marry me on his deathbed. Yeah, my father, I was disenfranchised from for from fourteen until twenty two years old. Never really talked to him. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, my my dad would totally do something like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 
And I, a lot of the times I don't tell them what, I don't tell my father what I'm doing because he would, he would do the, Hey, you know, you should really, you know, do this or do that. And I can't say no to the guy. Right. So I just don't tell him anything. I'm like, Secret <laughs> <laughs> career. Yeah. Right. You know, you mentioned your father early and, and I was thinking comedy clubs need to take advantage of people like your father, people who you mentioned who have that infectious laughter, really big laughter. <laughs> yeah. will spread it. Comedy clubs need to figure a way to get those people, fill the room with just those people because oh, it would make everybody's life a lot better. Oh, it would, yeah. My, yeah. He, we went to a, a Wizards game once and uh the 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 guy that does like the commentating of the game said something about the fact that my dad was laughing and like <laughs> our whole section was laughing right uh and he's like it's a basketball game what do you guys laugh up uh <laughs> but so yeah he, I'm t- it's that infectious dude uh you know and he's the life of the party because the first time he laughs now everybody wants to be around him right yeah. uh so yeah it was it was pretty cool yeah um so anything coming up that you want to let people know about any like shows that you got happening or are you just concentrating on school right now well yeah i have you know i do shows all the time you know i have a show tomorrow night uh in in fresno uh that i'm going to be knocking out um and i i know i think in august i'm going to be doing uh some stuff in sacramento uh so you know still working you know yeah not as as much as i would like to because of school but uh you know i I get them in here and there when, when i need them well, I'll get your Instagrams. Is it at uh, Sman Stu uh, yeah. on Instagram? Yeah, so at I'll S-Man put that Stu. in the link for the description to let people know about it. We do have uh, quite a few people in, on the West Coast who follow the show and, and the Sacramento area in particular. Okay. Uh, so I will, I will continue to promote your stuff. If you have anything like big that you want to let people know about, like in a, a really big show that you just you feel like it needs some promotion, please just drop me a line. I'll be happy to mention it, keep mentioning it uh, until until the date of the show and stuff like oh. that. Oh uh, man, you're you're a you're a sweetheart. Uh, I I appreciate you being here, and I I wish again, like with everybody else, I wish you get big enough that people want to cancel you. <laughs> you know, I want to wear that like a badge. That's the best compliment I've gotten in years. Uh, I, I started my own cancel me. Uh, I did a, a a petition to cancel my myself uh, and tried to get people on. I got 19 signatures on it. Uh, nobody wanted wow. to cancel me. <laughs> I feel uh, insulted by that. Like, come on. What do I have to do to get canceled around here? Because I do think, like, for, you know, Chappelle is selling, for, for all the controversy around him, he would continue to sell out shows. And you see that happening with anybody who they try to cancel. Their career gets bigger in some way. Oh, yeah. I don't Bill think canceling is really a thing. Yeah. What? I don't think canceling is really a thing. An article will say somebody is canceled. They might go away for a month or two, depending on what they did, of course. But uh, but people usually come back um, swinging. You know, how yeah. crazy is it going to be when Will Smith gets his next movie role, right? Like, dude, we're all going. Like, everybody's going. You know, after the 10-year band, we're all going to Bad right. Boys 9. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we have to say goodbye to Governors right now. Governors Comedy Club has been with us, uh, uh, and it's time for them to get ready for the uh, Drop Dead Comedy Show with Tony Walker. We're cutting them off right now. Goodbye, Govs. Um uh, yeah. You know, I have a new comedy uh, club that's signing on uh, comedy club chain from in New Jersey. Governors is on Long Island. Have one in, in Jersey that's signing Jersey and Pennsylvania that's signing on next week. My goal is to get all these comedy chains 
involved in this. So I'm just promoting comedy clubs all over America. Be the guy who's affiliated with all the comedy, biggest comedy club chains. They're going to get more comedy uh, comedians to come on the show. And I'm going to do more to promote them. And maybe this will become something of a vehicle for people like Sam to get all over any place, open up any venue they want. A comedy and, store is probably a tough one for me, but that's not going to happen. So <laughs> that's my, I'm on a roll here. So um, listen, Sam, I appreciate you being here. Wish you, wish you great luck. And uh, please do keep in touch and come back sometime. It's been a pleasure to get to know you. Oh, Oh man, I love you both, Jess. You know, love you to death, uh, my dog. Hey, thank you, thank you for having me, man. I, okay. I, this is this is really a blessing for me. Thank you. Been a pleasure. Thank Th- so thanks for being here, and good luck. And again, just drop me a line about anything you want to promote, and and we'll we'll push it for you. Uh, Wonderful. Thank, thank th- thanks for being here. Have a great day. Bye for now. Yeah, you too. That was good. I, I oh man, good guy, huh? A really, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, good, good conversation. And um, I think they're. He said a lot of things that are gold for young people coming up in the comedy world that people can learn from. Um, so, uh, did you catch the early part of the show when I said uh, um, that I was a victim of revenge porn? No, I was putting. I was still waking up. What do you really? Yeah, it's a it's a kind of a long story. I'll try to make it as short as possible because I told it in the first five minutes of the show, but. I had put out an ad for a drummer and because our band is, you know, we never rehearsed, never had a day of rehearsal uh, and we don't believe in rehearsal and we play so many songs that you, somebody asked me for a set list. That's like a bugaboo. Like, no, there is no set list. Be, be prepared to play anything you've ever heard and things you haven't heard because we play every song written from the 1920s to the 2020s and everything in between and original music that you probably never heard. So just be willing to just play from your heart, you don't have to learn anything. Put that out there. Plus, we take four, we do four-hour shows with no breaks in between, which can be really hard on a job. Yeah. So this oh one God. guy was really angry about that. So well, when's the audition? I said, we don't have auditions. We do trial by fire. We have an open gig. We'll put you on the gig. If you survive that gig, we might offer you another one. If you don't, no hard feelings. Oh, that's crazy. I got to learn all this material and play for four hours. And then I don't, I might not get the gig. I was like, well, that's the way it is. You don't have to accept it. But the guy got really angry at me and was coming back and wanted to make an argument about how we should conduct our band. It's like, no, we're set in our ways. This is what we do. Take it or leave it. You can try or not, but I'm not going to have this argument with you. I think it was him because the list that was he sent this thing out to yesterday was just music people within my music musicians network and me. He, I don't sure you didn't know that he was seeing me on it, but it was you want to know what kind of guy Matt Napo, aka Mind Dog, is. See the video clip attached. I did not open the video clip because uh, I knew it was going to be something I don't want on my computer on the hard drives anywhere other stuff i just knew this so i uh contacted a friend um who got the email and he said man that, that's funny it, it definitely looks like you i was like oh it looks like me what is it it's a bald-headed man with a uh, mustache who uh, resembles me from one certain angle inserting his entire head into a woman and it's oh like, my god right so I like people who really know me 
No, I would never do that, first of all. And people who don't really know me and might think that's me, I don't care. To me, that's... Again, now, I said this. That is funny if it happens to me. But I put this out there on Twitter that I'm, I was a victim of revenge porn and for people are just messed up. This guy is angry. I think it was him. I'm not positive it was him. But this guy is angry for the stupidest reason and just trying to hurt me and putting out revenge porn out there. Now, if it happens to me, it's very funny and people can joke about it. But this, the overall subject is if it happened to a young woman and it was really a video of her... Um, that would it could ruin lives and this kind of i think dude it's my it's one of my biggest fears right it's like and so you know it's not something even though it's funny if it happens to me it's not something to joke about it's a very serious thing and what what happened to the young male psyche that they became Listen, toxic masculinity, if that's what you want to call it, men being horn dogs, men being over the top. I'm, I've said to you that, that, you know, I've considered myself a misogynist my whole life. It's just a, a misogynist who is evolving. But never in my youth would I think about ruining a girl's life because she broke up with me or any of this kind of stuff. But now it's it's it, we've seen it come to a, a level where it's not an exception. It's most young men think about, think in those terms. There are entire like, websites that are dedicated to this stuff. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's just incredible. Now, um, for me, it wasn't even really me, but even so, I could see, and I don't know if this happens, but I could see, I see that a lookalike is enough to cause hell for somebody and ruin their lives and just, you know, where do you go to get your reputation back and who's seen it and all that kind of stuff? For me, I don't really And some people said it might be actually a boost for me because, you know, a lot of guys would see that and say, hey, way to go, mind dog. How'd you get that gig or whatever? <laughs> people are sick, man. People are sick. But yeah, any thoughts on, on... I have too many thoughts, to be honest. So, like, I'm so afraid of that happening to me that I'm paranoid about going into, like, you know, rooms. You know, I'm on camera all the time, but to be filmed without me knowing or something like that, well, what, whatever that sounds like sounds sounds a little different. I mean, it's a, kind of a different category of revenge porn, I guess we'll say. But hey. I'll... <laughs> yeah, but I'll say one thing, like... like um. For example, like I started, I started dating again after the quarantine and everything and basically completely cut myself off completely. Um, went, I'm, I'm currently celibate because I got so scared. Uh, there are a couple of things that happened. I was, I just, I just wanted to kind of date around and, and, um, for, for the first time in my life, like I, all during my twenties, I was in like one monogamous relationship after the other. So there were two monogamous relationships that took up my entire twenties when that's not even me. I don't even know how I got into these monogamous relationships. Like I, some of them, I did, some of the time I didn't want to be in them. Um, but I was, I was faithful and I was, I was whatever, uh, Jess, I guess, uh, to, to anyone else. But, um, but I, I started dating this guy and again, I I'm paranoid. So this could, I, I could have made this up in my head. So there's this one point where, where, uh, you know, he and I were, um, about to engage in, in, you know, fun activities, uh, completely naked. And he said, Oh, let me change my music. And he took out his phone 
And I didn't say anything, but it was only after that I realized, like, because he was taking a while. I could hear on the stereo that the music wasn't changing right away. And he was pointing it at me. And from that night on, there were multiple nights where I cried myself to sleep. I, I cried to friends about, like, I think he took a picture of me. And, like, I'm trying to be an actor if he had this against me. And the thing is, I wasn't sure. And I also didn't want to... Um, I, I didn't want to, to claim that he had done that to him because what if I was wrong, that would be such a big insult to this guy that I thought was a pretty decent guy otherwise. And, uh, and so I drove myself crazy for weeks. I continued to sleep with him because again, I thought I was being paranoid. I could never tell him because if I said, if I said that out loud and I was wrong, then I would look like an actual crazy person in my mind. But, um, but I literally lost a friend because she couldn't. She couldn't comfort me in the way that that I I was hoping for. Um, she she because when I when I was talking to her about this, she goes, "Oh yeah, that'd be pretty bad if he had a picture." I'm like, "That's not." I just said that I might kill myself over this. You cannot say that to me. And I I know I like even saying that back. I sound I sound out of this world. Like, you know, no, and, you don't. no, you don't. I mean. Uh... Into the, uh, and I've even thought, like, maybe I can use it if it ever happened. Maybe I can joke it off. Maybe, but, like, I've, to this degree, to this point, like, never, I've never started an OnlyFans. I've never, like, t gone topless in a, in a movie, even if it was, you know, tasteful or artful or whatever like that. Because um, I've I've always kind of kept that part of me um, personal. Just because, I mean, for no other reason besides, like, I, I wanted to uh, preserve the sanctity of my my body for myself and for my partners that I choose to share it with. But, um, that, that would take everything away from me. And I don't, I don't think, and to answer your question about like, um, why would a, a guy do this? I think it comes down to a, a couple things. Um, like I listened to a podcast where a guy went away to prison for like a couple years for, um, masturbating in public, like, or, or flashing somebody, and he, it's like he didn't realize how big of a deal it was. Like he doesn't like that it would have scarred a woman for the rest of her life. She would have never, she would have never like been able to to unthink that. Uh, and so I, I mean, it, the same with sending dick pics. Like I gotta tell you right now, guys, it doesn't help. Like we don't <laughs> want them. Like we never did. That's why we, that's why every single time you bring up the word dick pic, the word unsolicited almost always goes in front of it because we never ask for them. But, um, but yeah, uh, I, I don't think that guys understand how life ruining it is because there they are sharing their own junk on, on, you know, to, to random girls on Instagram, um, that for, for some women, especially that they're, they're not doing the same, uh, to other people, um, it uh, it could be life ruining. Um, well, if I can interrupt for just one second, yeah, no, I want to talk done, about. Yeah. I've never taken a dick pic, uh, because I feel like my dick is the ugliest thing that ever <laughs> like in creation. But and even if I didn't think it was ugly, I probably wouldn't take it. But um, here's what I think about because there are women. I I can't say this because I'm not of this mindset. But here's what I how I kind of figured it out there are women who send naked photos unsolicited but guys unsolicited? Receive, yeah yeah um okay. and I, i've gotten them and i know my 
uh, Instagram box. I don't, I don't, I don't open it, but I know they're full of solicitations to click on this link to get naked pictures of. See, that's not even a girl sending it. That, in fact, that could know, be revenge know, porn in itself, and and that's that's a that's a robot. So I'm that's like that's not the, all that's of the them. Not all of, no, them. not all so, of them. Okay. But there are women. I have gotten text from people I know, women I know, who will send that. But here's really? the thing, guys. Don't get offended by that. They welcome that for the most true. part. And so it, it gets into their minds. Well, that was cool. I liked it. She sent me a, a nudie, uh, what a new, uh, whatever they call it, a nude selfie, whatever they call it. But uh, so maybe she wants one back, that kind of thing. And then they get thinking that, yeah. And I think pornography for young men teaches them because it, uh, it portrays an image that women want to be treated that way it uh, it definitely does and they get they stop believing that's reality and it's not and so i think i'm not making excuses for them but i uh the i'm trying to wrap my head around what what happened to young men that they became vengeful in that way because i can understand men being stupid this is what we are this is how how we were, were wired, stupid. But the hateful, the meanness, the vindictiveness of it, I don't think was part of our thinking until recent generations. And I don't know what happened that caused that, that, that I'm going to get her, I'm going to ruin her life type of mentality. It seems to be something in the last two or two generations or so that has become, and now it's just, you know, it's, it is. It's not the. It's not the exception. It's the rule. I always like to think about what was the equivalent back before in the of, of anything back before the time of internet. Like, how did we communicate? How did we uh, treat each other? You know, before the internet existed. And I'm assuming that, like, if we're going to go back like 50 years, um, I guess guys would just slap a hoe and then hope that that uh that, oh. that, that you know that would make them feel better. So in the in the digital age where we're all disconnected and and physically distanced from each other, that's the way that they can. Uh, get out their anger, I guess. Ah, that's, a, that's a very perceptual thought. I never thought because I don't know. I don't never knew of guys who, well, there were, there weren't like a lot of like, there were, it wasn't as prevalent as you would like to think of the guys who hit women. I never knew any that I knew for a fact. I never, never saw women with black eyes or any of that stuff, or I never knew anybody who was a beater. But maybe that has something to do with it, that you used to be able to get away with slapping a woman. Back in the day, you could get away with it, and there would be no repercussions. Now that they can't do that, this is the the digital replacement of, wow, that's, that's a pretty heavy thought. I mean, that's that's what I think about everything. And that's what I've been saying about the Internet for years when when we say that the Internet is a new thing that that we can't grapple with. It, I believe that I've said this before, that the Internet is humanity amplified or humanity digitized, like nothing on this platform is not it. There's nothing on this platform that doesn't have our our physical hands behind it or our physical minds like running the show. Uh, we just have tools now that we can use, just like in the caveman days. Like you know, they they started to whittle out better tools until we till we have what we the machines that we do today. So um, right. uh, that that's that's just what I believe. All right, let's move on to a lighter and a happier subject to end the program with uh, today. Now, you streamed the other night. You were doing work on a jacket. It looks like this jacket has been 
a canvas for you, an artistic canvas for you over some period of time. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's like an evolving, continuous art project that never gets finished. Do I, am I? I have a couple of them. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it, it seems like a fun thing to do, but the question I have for you is, I'd be scared that I'm, I invested money, I invested all this time into, into a piece of clothing. Now I'm going to go at it and do some, just an idea I have. I'd be scared that I'm just ruining something I just, you know, I, I liked. And I, any of that fear? That jacket that I that I love so much, it was a $20 jacket from Forever 21. It's falling apart underneath the studs, actually. Do you want to see it? Do you want your audience to? I'll you show could, it to you. you. Show it, oh, yeah. it's beautiful. <laughs> Well, uh, while we are waiting, uh, Jess is now uh, modeling for us a kind of self-made. Got it right here. Here's the infamous jacket. Wow. Now, what? what, uh, I guess we are there any photos that of when it was not like that when it was original just imagine it completely black like everything underneath this i mean like i said it's a piece of junk like like pleather um you know uh completely and so and then my favorite part you got uh wow you got him on the back now is all that permanent and won't all of it is permanent and won't like fall off or chip off or any of that kind of stuff yeah, it's leather paint um, and jealous leather paint. So, I mean, it's it's been holding on for a couple of years now, as far as I can see. And in fact, it's kind of keeping the pleather on. I don't know how many uh, cheapy fake jackets you have, but this stuff starts to dissolve after a while and just starts to fall off the jacket. So there are places like on the shoulder that's like, well, the thing is, it's a punk jacket. So it's it still looks pretty cool, even if it's kind of scruffy. In fact... I, this, when I did this arm, I, it was a perfect shape. It was a perfect Chevron, but I was like, well, that's boring. So I, I kind of like scuffed it up. This, like, this was like, this has always looked like this, you know, it always looked like a damaged old road sign. Um, okay. The questions I have, because I'm a, a capitalist pig and a, always thinking about monetization. Um, are you doing this to uh sell this kind of stuff or are you doing it to teach people how to do it now i don't think you can necessarily teach somebody who's not an artist how to do this kind of stuff um what 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 is the the reason for doing it i have so many times been asked to to do you know commission pieces for other people and i went to school for art like this is my my job but i actually um have I, I cut illustration and painting out of my out of my menu of of things that I would do for money because whenever I would get these commissions, they would take me so long because one, I always, even though I feel like, I mean, I've showed my salt enough that I'm a I'm a decent illustrator, I would always get very anxious that it wouldn't be good enough for people or it wouldn't be to someone's liking. And I would hate, to, I just, I just hated taking someone, someone's idea and having to apply it to my own art style. But the reason why I specifically, like I turned down a really good friend who was, is an amazing person. He's also in a band. And I said, um, I, I, I can't, 
because I want you to do it. Like I want, I, these bunk jackets, I feel like they're supposed to be the extension of you. And, you know, some people aren't artistic. Um, but, but I honestly feel like it's a good time to experiment and see what you can actually achieve. And, and the thing is about a punk jacket, it's not supposed to look great. It's supposed to look rough. You know, it's, you're supposed to wear this to a rock show and get it banged up on the sides of the wall when you're in the mosh pit, you know, on the side of the stage and stuff. So I, you know, I always encourage someone like put your stripes on your shoulders, you know, wear your edge, uh, around your collar, around your neck, you know? And uh, yeah, I've been making a couple of them. And I guess we're only where the monetization comes in is that when I do these live streams or even videos, they're not necessarily tutorials. They're like, come along with me as I'm documenting my life. In fact, I noticed. <laughs> that's what I always wanted the show to be anyways. This is Jess Paul, as you can you can find me. Um, all you have to do is type in Jess Paul into your Google uh, web you know, browser up there and you'll find me. Um, right. but, but that's what the show is called. This is Jess Paul. And I'm kind of, I've been on YouTube for now mm, since 2009, like, like, or 2008, to be honest, uh, if we go that far back. So I've been doing this for uh, upwards of a dozen years. And at this point, at this point, and I'm, I'm sure I'm going to find other ventures on on the platform itself. I'm kind of just documenting who I am as a person. And anybody who's interested is along for the ride. And I had to uh, stop doing the edited shows because not enough people were interested. <laughs> but I mean, I just did, to be honest, I just didn't have the time to make it a monetizable, you know, fully monetizable venture. Um, so I, I stuck with commercial uh, acting instead, um, which which pays me a lot more money. But whoever is interested to come along for the ride, we are still doing live streams every other Monday and we chat and we we, you know, paint on jackets. We do. Was it Monday this week? I felt mm -hmm. like it was later in the week. Uh, no, it's always it's always on Mondays. My show has always been on Monday. Rec Radio, everything for, you know, has always been on Mondays. At some point, as you see in my mirror over here, like you can see the reflection. I have a bunch of LEDs in front of me at some point. This is a nice little like Sam was giving away secrets or, or like upcoming things on the show. Um, I'm eventually going to make my own like neon sign that that will go right above my face so that not actually not many people will be able to see it except for in the reflection of the mirror. But um, it will light me and it will look cool, I guess. Uh -huh. Um, it oh seemed life. to me, uh, I, w I was on that stream, I guess it was Monday night. I yeah. felt like it was Wednesday night. Maybe you um, watched the replay. <clears throat> um, that uh, the followers that you have, many of them seem to be back from your roots, from Pittsburgh, yes. the Erie, Pennsylvania area, no? The Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. Yeah. Can you believe that? Yeah, like, I can't a... believe it because like I said, I started that show in 2009. So they've been around since then. I am so grateful for them. Like I do, I make the joke about like no one's interested, but the people that are, that do stick around and come around every, um, every Monday, I'm so grateful for them because, because they're, they're, you know, kind of keeping my little candle, candle light of a dream alive, you know, my little flame right. um, to be, you know, my dream was one of my dreams was to always be self-sufficient on YouTube, but it's such a, a saturated and competitive place that, that, you know, voices are com like constantly volleying for attention. That's kind of what we were talking about in the beginning of the show that, that, uh, you know, and, yeah, and so also you go out and murder somebody and your YouTube channel will blow up. I promise. Right. Right. Cause I'm, cause I'm a pretty big free speech person. Like I, that's why I feel like I'm in the middle a lot that I, you know, I, we, one of our times we also talked about like how I don't, I, I really don't like when people are silenced, even if the ideas are bad, because 
it, it, you know, if we want to be fair across the board, the, the way that we respond to that is not by silencing or canceling people. It's by just meeting them with, with your own ideas, with opposition and, and having an actual dialogue of ideas so that anyone who's watching these Twitter wars can pick a side and decide what they, you know, what they feel is best, get all the ideas out there and, Unfortunately, they're, you know, when people come at at angles for selfish reasons, you know, this is and this is just my perception that a lot of people that that are on the right and they want to make sure that the the white uh, nuclear family, traditional family stays alive, um, you know, that cuts out, you know, people of color that cuts out uh, or, or immigrants and it cuts out, you know, abortion rights for women because you've got this this Christian underlying um, idea of the of. Of of, you know, their traditions, um, I I feel like this this world gets smaller um, yeah. in a bad way uh, and. And because it, it doesn't actually realistically represent what this world is, it's it's just hiding it from the truth. When when people start both shutting people up on like the left starts shutting people up and the right starts keeping people out. So I'm right. kind of in the middle somewhere. Um, now, uh, the people who are interested in, in what you do as far as the artistic stuff and watching you do that work, are they millennials? Because it seems to me... Hmm. Boomers love that stuff. And I know that's not probably not your ta- target audience, but my generation loves watching. I mean, we are the first generation that turned on to PBS to watch oh. art shows and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think that there's a huge audience and, you know, probably missing out on some people. Again, I'm, I hate hey, to I'm be still like a Facebook. total capitalist pig. So they're there. All right. <laughs> the boomers are there, right? Um, oh, you're streaming I, to Facebook as well? I'm not streaming, but I but I am very active on Facebook. Like I've got a pay, I've got the page. Everything is this yeah. is just Paul. So if you ever wanted to find me on any platform, if I'm there, like uh, that's that's where it exists. But that's where I uh, always find you. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, there we go. Well, the thing about Facebook, um, I was just talking about this the other day. I don't know why people discount it because unlike Instagram, it's a way that you can directly link and embed things right. and, ha- and actually have comment conversations. It's very hard to do that on the other platforms. It's not as engageful um, as as Facebook is. So I don't think. I mean, as as or Meta, we'll call it. Um, but uh, it's. I don't think it's really dead yet, and I'm still on there. I still like it. So yeah, um, yeah. But I'm always thinking about monetization stuff and capitalizing yeah. on because I do believe, you know, and I know this is a whole discussion for another day because there are artists who definitely disagree with me that um, that money ruins art. I don't. I'm not a fan of the old starving artist myth. The more you starve for your work, the you better your art's going to be. I think artists create stuff that brings value to the world, enhances people's lives, and they deserve to be compensated for it because they need to eat too, just like everybody else. So I, I'm always forward thinking about, you know, I think the art gets actually better if the artist doesn't have to worry about keeping a roof over their head or putting yeah. food on the table. Uh, well, I'm- I mean, what I'll say about that is the, the the thing that keeps the fake food business alive besides the money are the reviews that I get on this phone back from my customers, how much they love it, how much they are are sharing. They're, they're basically, you know, in, engaging and indulging of my art 
And that, and like, without that, it would be, it would fall away. Like kind of my, my edited YouTube videos would, because I wouldn't be able to maintain that business. And now like I'm getting ready for fall for, for Halloween season. And just hundreds of people are going to be wearing uh, fake pies on their head, you know, and I'm, <laughs> I'm so ready for it. I'm so ready to see it. And I, you know, the, I, I, I started, I think I, did I say this last week that I started with a life coach, um, my friend, my friend, Katie, she's starting her life coach business. And it's, it, and the first question was, what are your goals that you want to reach? What's missing from your life? And, and basically to, to be able to produce my own, my own film um, and to be able to have a regular career in acting, um, that's the goal. And, and I, and so many people don't have the luxury of having that. And I feel like I literally, could die if, if I was able to get Jesse's girl made, if somebody was able to fund it. Um, and, and I'm trying to work my way through making that a priority in my life or making it happen. I don't, I still don't know yet how that's, you know, that's everybody's got that pipe dream and little by little, I feel like, like I'm so every time I'm on set, every time I get to make a movie, that's the only time before I found, you know, the, the woody nose silicone nose dilators it was the only time where i didn't need drugs to sleep because i knew like during like i would i'd probably be somewhere else i'd be in pittsburgh or i'd be in chicago filming a movie and i was able to sleep like a baby it was like there should still be anxiety from like memorizing my lines for the next day or you know being being perfect for the next day but actually because i'm there doing my job the, the job i want to do i can just sleep so peacefully well, um, you know, again, I'm just a, I'm just an awful capitalist pig. But I, if I were you, I'd be con contacting Woody Nose people and say, "Listen, I'm plugging your product on the Mind Dog Coffee with the Dog Show. Uh, how about a little?" I should because I always, I always wanted to make a video about my my sleep journey. I've tried everything. I tried writing. I tried reading. Like, and this is attacking my anxiety. I was trying to do, um, but also physical things like sleepy time tea and taking a bath or a shower to make me tired. Like, I, I've just, I had tried everything. I would do all these little tricks to help me fall asleep, you know. And and nothing really worked until I just opened up my sinuses. I guess um, I I am such a um, I'm I'm have I'm shy about a lot of things in life, but not shy about asking for sponsorships and going out and saying, "Listen, I'm legitimately a user of your product. I like it. I'm talking it up." can we do something about this? This is what I'm doing with these comedy clubs. Listen, I'm already in, I'm invested. I love comedians. I'm promoting comedians. How about we work something out where we, you know, you wash my back and I'll work even harder for you because I'm a big believer in the product. It's part of my life. I'm, it's not phony. And I think that yeah. helps sell stuff. So if you really believe in a product, I, I always wanted trying. to have sponsors, but I'd always be afraid the first question they'd ask is to see my numbers. And, um, you know, I make a cool like 100 numbers views per video. Numbers don't matter. And in, in this uh, in the new paradigm, engagement matters. So basically the idea and the record company, new independent record companies will tell you this. I'd rather have a band that has 100 really really engaged and passionate followers than a band that has a million followers that aren't engaged and passionate at all so it's not necessarily about the numbers it's will how much how much do they actually take action on what you say how much influence do you really have over those hundred people rather than uh, you know no influence over a million people and that's the new paradigm for 
and I'm all on board with that. Just you know, I, I want to grow my audience and continue to grow my audience on every platform that I'm on. But the the more the most important thing to me is engagement. That people actually engage with it, share their ideas, feel like they're part of the community, feel like you know we're in this together, and they'll be more likely to take action on stuff. So. Yeah. Why? What am I so afraid of? Huh? Yeah. Exactly. Why not try? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I really, really appreciate you giving me another Friday morning here. Uh, and oh, thanks uh, whenever, when uh, you know, why don't we do this? Just consider uh, every Friday morning an open uh, invite for you to do this. And if you, uh, if it takes till Thursday might night at midnight uh, for you to know if you're available or want to do it, you just let me know. Or I will. Not, I'll end up doing it by myself. What's the worst that could happen? I've been doing <laughs> it by myself before, but I'd, I'd rather have you here. Oh, that's, that's the best I could ever ask for. That sounds amazing. And, and I will always let you know I'm on top of it. Cool. I appreciate that. Well, have a great day. Uh, I guess you're going to do artistic things, artsy things. I've got, I've got an audition, uh, you know, lined up. That's what I was doing last week too. It's, it's since I already have a a face of makeup on, I'll go, I'll go film my stack of auditions for the week that day as well. (laughs) Oh, that's nice that you can do them by virtual, virtual auditions now rather than having That's what it mostly is anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Trek your way over to somebody and wait online and yeah. Yeah, I hate that. It's it's crazy because I, you take a lift across town. This is what I do because I don't drive. I, I'll take a lift across town, and usually an audition will take no more than three minutes, and then you have to leave and go back to, to your house. So um, so this is very convenient, obviously. Yeah. Cool. Well, I wish you luck on that audition. I just hope it doesn't take you away from Friday morning. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. I mean, we do we do get on pretty early, so it usually it usually works out. Cool. Well, have a great day. Thanks for being here. Um, I really, really, really appreciate it. The audience really appreciates it. My audience I love loves you. you. I, I'm, I Maybe I should share with you uh, the feedback that I get, and I probably will do that as it comes in now. But Aww. people people love you. People Aww. really, really adore Thanks, guys. You. Yeah. Thank you. Good to know. I, I felt love being like... here. I love talking to you guys, too. I see, cool. I see everyone over there. Hey, Michael, thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, have a great day. I'm going to end the, I'm going to end the show now. Thanks for being here. Bye guys. I'll talk to you. Bye. Fabulous, talented and lovely. Just Paul folks. Um, appreciate everybody being here. Uh, Sam Stewart, S man stew. Uh, great conversation. Jess is always a great conversation. Hope you enjoyed the program. Info at minddogtv.com. Let me know your thoughts. I don't have a show for you tonight because I'll be out gigging. I got a full day, full weekend, um, I should be loving it. I should be loving it. tonight's gig is in a parking lot of a restaurant because they don't they never built a um outdoor area, so basically they cornered off a piece of their parking lot uh with with picnic tables and catering from inside the restaurant out to people who want to come out and see the music. Not ideal, but it's fun it's outdoors it's summertime. Uh, so I shouldn't complain about it. I should be happy, and I'm going to be happy. i got to put on my happy face and get uh, all happy about it. Thanks for coming. Uh, I'll see you Monday morning. Now, Monday night, i got a great show with the, uh, the King of Miami, a guy who's written a book called The King of Miami. It's uh, a true-life memoir of a guy who's lived a life that is um, characterized as somewhere between the movie Blow and Scarface. So if you're interested in a story like that, Monday night. Otherwise, we'll be back here Monday morning at you. Thanks for coming. Have a great rest of your day. And don't forget to turn on your radio. Bye for now. 
me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.